Hello and welcome to the Back Page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined, as ever, by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, um, how's the gout that's returned with you from Bruges um, going? Are you, are you kind of dealing with that well? Yeah, I've, I've got most of the gout out of my system, but I did <laughs> eat some extraordinarily rich uh, meats and um, felt truly terrible on the last day. I just had <laughs> constant heartburn. I was so unbalanced. Um, have you ever been nice. to Belgium? No, I haven't, um, sadly. It feels like a place I would like as well because it's sort of like a lot of like um, sort of Western European places are sort of like England but better, you know, in like a lot of yeah. cases. And like, so I count Germany among that. I feel like Belgium would give me the same experience, you know. Bruges has got like big bath vibes. All right. That it's very small and walkable and like everything's gathered in like the U of a river, basically. <laughs> so it's you can get everywhere really fast. There's chocolate everywhere, which is amazing. Um, Bath <laughs> obviously isn't like that. Bath has fudge everywhere. Yeah, but that's not like you know. Bath isn't famous for fudge. No, but that one fudge shop is really good in the uh, by the cathedral. That's decent, isn't it? Is it a cathedral? Yeah. It is. Isn't it? Oh, wait, that yeah. Abbey, that's it. That's just yeah. the fudge kitchen. Yeah. It's rock solid. Like the um the the salted caramel fudge theater is top. I can only have it once a year or I'll get diabetes. But you know, <laughs> not oh. a, not a Rollies fudge pantry <laughs> kind of guy. No, is that the one that's got the very cursed ice cream boy we talked about before outside? No, Rollies is down near where H and V used to be. It's actually a, a a small chain from down in Devon and Dorset and Cornwall. I think I've seen right. them down in Lyme Regis, so they've made it all the way up here. Side note, have you noticed that Marshfields have some kind of fucking um, grip on ice cream in the West Country? Like, if you go for anywhere west from Bath, and including Bath, you'll just find, like, Marshfields ice cream everywhere instead of, like, good sort of gelato ice cream and stuff. I mean, there are people trying to break that stranglehold, but it's very disappointing to go to, like, Brixham in Devon, for example, and be like, oh, the only ice cream they got here is this one brand I can get in Bath. It's like, it's a very West Country concern, I'll be honest with you, Matthew, but... <laughs> Wow, this is a this is a niche opening to an episode which already has to work so much harder to be entertaining than the others. <laughs> yeah, so what we've been playing episode, hence why we're being so loose, we think, oh, hey, yeah, we can waste three minutes talking about ice cream. Um, like, uh, as ever, I feel like when we discuss bar stuff, 25% of our audience is having a great time. The other 75% is like, oh, fuck off, get on with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think well, that's, that's the... Before uh... we mixed up with some Bruges, you might go to Bruges. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any good um, beer there, Matthew? It's famous good beer, isn't it, Bel- um, Well, I'm not a big beer drinker. Oh, waste I drank a lot of hot chocolate. Just pints everywhere. of it. They're big into hot chocolates where they give you a big thing of milk and then you put in lots of chocolate and it melts into hot chocolate. They're like the whole set the intensity of your hot chocolate with your own input of smaller pieces of chocolate is very much the the kind of gimmick at the moment. It wasn't like that when I went a few years ago, but now it's everywhere and we went to a place where they basically give you like a it looked like a giant flower petal, you know, the top of a flower, flower head uh, made out of chocolate and it sort of sank into the milk and slowly melted into hot chocolate. Fuck. That's uh, intense. I wouldn't trust you with that level of control over the um, chocolate intensity. <laughs> well, that's the problem. Like, in the hotel breakfast, I would have hot chocolate, and they're like, they give you a jug of hot chocolate to tip into the milk to set the intensity of flavour. And I just poured the whole jug in, because why wouldn't you? You know, you want the maximum chocolate. And so maybe made myself some slightly too strong hot chocolate, which probably contributed to the gout. Um, 
Fair I, like the, I like the end of you on the last day, just like heartburn, sort of leaning over, but just pouring like thick hot chocolate into your cornflakes for breakfast down at the hotel. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was actually surprisingly like that because <laughs> Catherine was like on the last day, she's like, oh, I just co- I just couldn't have cooked breakfast. And I was in a much worse state, but I still was like, I'll have a hot chocolate and eggs Benedict. <laughs> um, Cram that down um, and suffered for it. Oh, that's good. I also discovered Flemish beef stew, which is it's very, it's quite like beef bourguignon, I guess, or just a beef casserole, except they serve it with applesauce, which is very unusual. So it's like beef, gravy and applesauce. Absolutely delightful. That's good. I think the sweetness would offset the kind of like um, sort of savoury kind of like, you know, darkness of beef bourguignon, which I think is like a bit... I don't know. It's not like the most flavoursome thing in the world. I think you could use a little something, something. Oh, yeah, it was, it was nice. But I, you know, no longer will associate applesauce with pork. I'm going to be boring people with that story for years to come whenever I see them putting their applesauce on pork. I'll be like, I only use applesauce on beef stew. Um, there you go. Learn so much about you from this uh, five-minute opener, Matthew. Um, just top <laughs> stuff it there. it been five minutes? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the patrons are into. This, everyone else is like, oh, fuck this. But the patrons are having a great time. So yeah, so what we've been playing episode, I will say, um, it's maybe like going to be one of the briefer ones in terms of stuff we've played, because I think it's like secretly a mailbag this episode, Matthew, because we've got quite a lot of good questions here from our listeners. So if you want to leave us a question, there's um, pod questions, uh, sort of like, uh, uh, what's it called, thread in the Discord. If you join the Discord, um, we can kind of like sail away with us on our on our um, social media arc as uh, Twitter <laughs> fucking crashes and burns, as I, I hear about constantly at the moment. Hopefully it's not like the arc from Russell Crowe's Noah where Ray Winston smuggles himself on and starts eating the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that film. Is that what happens in that film? He's like the baddie of the film and he comes on and starts eating the animals <laughs> and they're like, Noah has to fight him to stop him from eating the animals. That's why certain animal species get basically wiped out because Ray Winston ate them just like in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> What? That's like... So he's like munching on a dodo. They had a boss fight at the end of Noah. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine a a very Dark Souls-style boss fight with like slow dodge rolls and things like that, Matthew. Yeah, I'm Um, telling you, that film is wild. (laughs) Yeah, Ray Winston ingesting a dodo and a woolly mammoth. Um, That's that's good. I mean, that would clash with the idea of creationism, wouldn't it? They don't like woolly mammoths. They're like, oh, fuck that. Uh, I've already boiled it down, boiled down to the cliff notes there, but I think that's basically the intent of the Bible. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, I think so. Right then, the games. Uh, Let's start with you, Matthew. So the first game here is one we got sent by a listener, right, Like uh, who works for a PR agency. He's like, oh, you know, I like the back page. page. Would you like to have a a code for this? And it sounds like Matthew's sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, tell me all about it. Uh, This is Case of the Golden Idol by Colour Grey Games. Uh, This had appeared on my radar before we got that lovely email in that I saw people talking about something which was Obradin-esque on Twitter and had appeared at, I I don't know if this was a PC gaming show or one of the infinite indie game streams that seems to happen all summer. Um, (laughs) But word had reached me that something Obradin-y was in the world and was coming our way, which is very exciting. Oberdin is one of my all-time favourite games. Absolutely masterful take on the detective game. And this is kind of Oberdin-y in that it is a game where you enter lots of scenarios where a murder has been committed. And 
the input that you use to solve the mystery is quite like Oberdin in that you are basically filling the gaps in an account. In Oberdin, it's just like so and so died because of this, and here it's more like um, Americans always refer to this as a Mad Lib, which I don't know if that's a UK thing, but it's the story with gaps that you fill in hilarious words. What is the UK equivalent of that? Is there one consequences? Oh, I don't know. No, I'm not. I'm not actually sure. Uh, well, anyway, it will say blank, fell off a blank, hit his blank, and then blanked. And you basically click on things in the world to collect uh, nouns and verbs to fill in that story. So, like, all the elements you see in the scene, you click on them, you harvest a big bank of words, and then it will be, like, the name of the guy fell off his bike and hit his head on a rock or whatever because you've clicked on horse, rock, bike, and this guy's name. So half the game is kind of passing the scene for clues, which, to be honest, is quite easy there kind of given to you as hotspots. The other half is then interpreting the scene to make sure you insert the right words in this account, Um, which to start off with is super obvious because it'll be like a bloke has been pushed into the sea and there's only one other guy there and it's really obvious that he's pushed a guy into the sea or whatever. But as they get more and more complicated, like these sort of scenes you step into get more and more complicated, they're presented in cross-sections, so you're like you might have like a whole house where you can click through to the different rooms and click on lots of different things. You can kind of go through people's possessions and read letters. And I guess the Oberdininess of it, apart from the input, is that you have to interpret a load of information at once to try and get to the right answers. I think it's a little less, not a little less clever than Oberdin, but a little bit more like linear and prescriptive because there are only so many slots to put words in and there are only so many words in the scene. And a lot of them, due to the sentence structure, you're like, well, I know it's none of these words. You know, if if so-and-so hit his head, so-and-so is going to be a human, is going to be a name, for example, you know? And so, like, you can sort of deduce a lot of stuff from just the structure of 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 the account but what it does to then spice things up and and maybe engage your brain a little bit more is there are there are almost like supplementary puzzles which you have to like strip information from the scenes to solve so there's one where there's been a murder at dinner party and the supplement one of the supplemental like panels that you're filling in is where everyone was sitting around this dinner table and that's got the kind of classic thing where Someone's like, I refuse to sit next to so-and-so. And someone else is like, I sat at the place where I had a sherry and a carrot. And then you have to look at all the information on the table and work out where everyone sat. So it's like one of those puzzles, like a logic grid. It adds up to something which I think is a little slighter than Oberdin. But there is a lot of fun about like your con- like every, I don't know, half an hour it maybe takes to solve these chapters. You're stepping into another murder mystery presented with just a whole new load of faces, a whole load of weird weirdness, and you get to have a little kind of fun time picking it apart. I quite like it. Oh, that's cool. I'm pleased that, like, um, I just know that your standards are quite high with these kinds of games, right, in terms of, like, they yeah. have to, the, their kind of internal logic and also the satisfaction of actually being able to solve it. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and this... The, the thing this does really well, and it's the same thing that Oberdin does, is like there are, is, is when you actually enter a new scene 
and it's it's like the fresh aftermath of something. So like there'll be a body on the floor. Someone will be inevitably like some some dainty lady will be screaming. You know, someone else will be doing you know doing, trying to leg it and do a runner and is tripping over something. Like there's probably a dog going like fucking mental somewhere. You know, <laughs> and it, that's quite funny. It has got a good sense of humour from like the demented energy of like a murder which obviously i've never seen in real life but uh, you know that's something i like in neo Bredin as well where you just go into these scenes and you're like good grief murder is like messy and must be like quite frightening to see um <laughs> which are obviously are quite a trite point but um uh that's that's something both games have in common which i really like and this game has like quite an uh, like ugly art stuff like the face everyone in it's quite ugly looking they all kind of look like sort of subtly misshapen kind of potato people <laughs> um which really sells you on the like disastrous befallen these sort of ugly people from history <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know misshapen potato people i'm talking to a fucking professor layton fan do you know what i mean that's <laughs> like that's like your whole yeah. deal <laughs> well that, yeah it's kind of like what if horrible murders in professor layton and uh yeah it's 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 fun it's it's really neat and it, nothing outstays its welcome um you know you're constantly presented with new stuff like i say and i think the the addition of these extra side puzzles which if you skip i think you're skipping like the meat of the game like they actually tap into some interesting ideas because you know when someone's been murdered or someone's died like you're forced down certain avenues like there's only so many things that can happen so by having puzzles about like where people sat or which room in the you know where do all the servants live in this house and trying to match the servant to the room based on like what's in the room and what you find in the servant's pockets like it can just do it's got a bigger like vocabulary than just murder which the Oberdin arguably doesn't have you know that's just like a shitload of people dead on this boat what happened um so yeah this this like you know while maybe a bit more linear like kind of has like a wider breadth to it i guess hmm okay interesting well that's uh yeah sounds decent matthew did you play it on uh, steam deck i did a little bit of an eye strain right right because i think it like technically supports it but i did wonder if it's, it sounded a bit more point and clicky you know it sounded yeah, like, like it should be sat at desk maybe yeah, it worked fine, like, interface-wise. Like, there's nothing, you know, you're never really up against it. Um, it, it works, but there's definitely some small text. I mean, uh, I, side note, loaded my Steam Deck with loads of games when I went over to Bruges. So I oh, thought, yeah. I'm just going to play loads of games on the train or whatever. And lots of stuff had been recommended to me, and I, I got really nobbled by some small fonts in certain things. <laughs> like, it is a problem if your game doesn't have, like, good scaling to it. Um, yeah. Like, I, I really um, bounced off that Road Warden, which lots of people have been very complimentary about. It's kind of like a uh, a big kind of interact, a bit like an Inkle thing, I guess, like a sort of interactive choose your own adventure. Um, but we just, lo- it's just reading, loads and loads of reading. And I found the font a little bit of a bit of an eye, eye strain. So mm, okay. that won't be making my game in the year list. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently not. Okay. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it scratches enough of the itch of uh, Oberdin. Then, if you if you, yeah. you want a piece of it, that's good. Yeah, like I, yeah, I do, I do hold the genre in, you know, to a quite a high standard, and this this definitely like made the cut. Okay, cool. Well, that's uh, a good a good way to kick us off, Matthew. Um, Have you got something you are equally enthused for? Yeah, like uh, very very different vibes. But um, my <laughs> first game is Stay Out of the House. This Ooh. is a horror game. 
by uh, Puppet Combo, who I've discussed in the podcast before, for people who've listened to, um, for Backpage Pod Heads, um, which is what we affectionately call our audience, maybe. Um, the uh, I, I discussed uh, The Glass Staircase on the Best Horror Games episode we did oh, with Louise. Yeah. And that was a game where you, um, you these I think you were these girls, they would disappear one by one over a course of different days and you'd disappear into this maze and then eventually encounter this nemesis from Resident Evil 3 like creature PS1 slash PS2 kind of like um art style with a bit with um a bit of a Silent Hill uh, sort of like influence to it um so Puppet Combo is like a I think like it's technically like one person and then it's like a collective of support devs who help make the the games and if you um back uh back the map Oh, sorry, patreon.com slash puppet combo. I think you get all of the games for like $10. You get like an itch version of all of them or an EXE or something. So mm-hmm. they're very accessible. And most of them are built around like one core idea. Um, this one is actually a first person game. Glass Staircase is third person. Um, and in this game, it's basically like the hills have eyes and alien isolation in- inspired, I believe they've said. So. Mm-hmm. What this amounts to is, um, first up, there's a prologue that's actually not related to the rest of the game, but um, you are working this night shift in this uh, this uh, this garage, like a petrol station, and cars come and go, and people come in and they buy stuff. Again, this kind of low, low uh, sort of like PS1, PS2 aesthetic. It even kind of mimics the sort of like vibrating textures of the PS1 era, mm. um, if you miss that. And then like this white van circles through the forecourt a couple of times, doesn't stop for petrol. And you've been given this list of tasks to to take care of across across the night. The the vibes are not good at this petrol station, Matthew. It's in the <laughs> middle of like a foresty kind of area, um, surrounded by like trees and darkness. Um, mm-hmm. Not very nice. And you are in this illuminated space. And um, you're of your three jobs. You got to sweep the sweep the store. Uh, you got to put some like um, some items back onto the shelf that customers have left behind. And then you got to like um, clean the bathrooms as well. And basically, you've got the whole storefront area to kind of like walk around, and then there's also this like back back office bits with like a refrigerator and stuff. And so basically, you just kind of play out this night shift, and you know something's going to happen. And there's this like there's this locked door that's stopping you from getting to the bathroom. And so what you do is you wander out the front of the petrol station, um, wander through the back, and the locked door has been unlocked from the other side. That doesn't seem good, does it? Like, uh, what would have done that? And so uh, you walk through, um, back into the shop, through that what was the locked door, and you find out what it was, and it's like a fucking massive jump scare, uh, basically. Um, And it builds up to that. And it's a really good, like, fun little horror thing in miniature. It does a great job of setting the scene, of building you up, of letting you do the kind of mundane petrol station employee bits, and then gives you a fucking fright. And then the proper, the game proper starts after that, where. Um, you are uh, this, uh, this this girlfriend. Um, this you are like a couple basically who go out to the woods and like your boyfriend disappears and you have to go off and look for him in this kind of like American countryside style kind of area where like there's a there's like a mill that's been shut down and you have to walk through tall grass and things like that and there's like an abandoned church and you read these bad vibe notes about how people have basically rejected the church and gone satanic and started chucking stuff through the church and mm. all this kind of stuff and then you eventually come to this um this house with these uh, this little with all this kind of like red uh, lighting coming out of the windows um you walk into the house explore it and then uh, you have this little dog companion with you and then something happens and then you um you wake a, a little while later and you're in this trapped in this cage 
and um, you have to find a way out or there is a bad ending where if you turn and watch this TV where there's this like fucked up preacher guy um, talking on TV um, it gives you like uh, basically like a bad ending which is quite cool but once you escape it turns into this like first person sort of puzzly horror thing where it's only like a couple of hours long and I I, I will confess I've not finished it yet because it it fucked me up too much to finish it in one night it got me fucked you up isn't it difficult or in that it's scary (laughs) that's scary it got (laughs) me it got me on a bad night it got me on a Sunday where I was just not I was not quite at my bravest and it just like really (laughs) really really unnerved me which day of the week are you at your bravest friday i think i'm really? just like i got good vibes on friday i'm like yeah i could fucking take on this really <laughs> fucked up family in the, the american south and then just like try and get out of here and save these other kids <laughs> like it's just quite cool it's like i guess like a slight it takes similar influences to resi 7 similar kind of vibes but it's a way more because it's like an indie you know sort of like horror scene game it's like way more fucked up and gnarlier and and like what i like about puppet combo is they take a variety of influences from different games and different genres. There's another one called Murder House. It's much more, much closer to a Resi style experience. You can right. even get like a shotgun and stuff like that. This does have guns in it, but it's meant to. I think it's meant to mimic a bit more of the Alien Isolation style struggle. Um, mm. I just think it's cool that there's someone who makes this stuff pretty regularly. You know, and if you want to go find some alternative horrors to the avalanche of remakes, which I am excited about for sure, there is someone out there doing it. So yeah, they sent me a key for this, which I was very grateful for, and uh, mm. yeah, it's pretty cool. I like you can like I say, te- if you just back them on um, Patreon, you'll get all the games, which seems like a pretty good deal to me. There's, there's something sort of magically cursed about the idea of a sort of system where you 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 know Patreon that you barter for money for these sort of strange handmade horror things. <laughs> you know, like it's it seems a little bit more like illicit somehow than just buying something on like Steam you know yeah it does and some of these games do come out on steam but not all of them are i think they're all kind of like spread across different formats i think you can even get i think you can even get a couple of them on switch now as well there's like one called the something i think it might just be called nun massacre so (laughs) i like (laughs) your your kind of ongoing quest to find something to kind of fuck you up like (laughs) this was a theme of our sort of horror episode when we talked about film horror films and the patreon like i feel like you're looking for something out there in the world truly disturbing um could <laughs> yeah. you speak to that with regards to this <laughs> yeah so i definitely like um whenever i with my uh, former partner whenever i go to the cinema it'd be a case of like your uh you know your, your expectations are too high when we saw um uh what was it called the kid getting their head knocked off by the post box film what's that again the oh not, her- not heritage Oh, hereditary, yeah, hereditary. sorry. I was sorry about to, to say Pentiment, but it's not that. <laughs> no, Pentiment is the uh, games journalist number one game of the year, Matthew. It's, yeah. Um, um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, so um, when I saw Hereditary, people had hyped it up so much that when I saw it, I was I was quite let down by the fact that it didn't fuck me up for life, which is what right. I was... That's kind of what I hoped for going into a horror film. And then I went into Smile, the same deal. I went into um, Barbarian, the same deal. Now, that is very scary for long stretches of time. But it is true that there is like a fundamental scariness to like to like the final act of Don't Look Now, for example, which mm. I want something like that that's going to just like ruin me basically for like at least two weeks and make me just like a, a nervous wreck. Um, has, has have scary games ruined you more than scary films? Um, at times, like I think about how 
when I was a kid, playing Resident Evil 2 had just so much more impact on me than it would do if I played it now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. I think just like it just that just really hit me at the right moment. Um, and as an adult, I'm not so sure, but definitely like when I play Silent, like the the Silent Hill two, three, and four, the good ones, I I can get I get some of that. Oh, I'm a bit unsettled by this vibe. Did I tell you about when I played Silent Hill two at my parents' house last, last Christmas, Matthew? And then my parents like my dad's oboe room uh, slash clarinet room um, <laughs> is like right next to their porch, and my I was playing Silent Hill two. And my mum suddenly like appeared um, at the porch next to the window. And it's an oh! And I, I was, all I was doing was playing Silent Hill. And she just looked at me like, "What's what's up with you?" And I was like, "I'm just playing a scary game, and you just suddenly fucking appeared, all right?" And it really scared me. The so, only yeah. thing that can make Silent Hill too scarier is if Pyramid Head played a clarinet every time he appeared, <laughs> and you could just hear him coming by the loudness of his clarinet. <laughs> yeah, clarinet head, as he's been renamed. In, uh, yeah, and maybe in the Silent Hill Two remake, that could be something they do. So yeah, Matthew, I'm not like that much. I'm not that brave, you know. I played this like very like tentatively, like well, if it fucks me up, I'll turn it off and I'll start Animal Crossing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll just I'll level yeah. myself out tone wise. Uh, mm. So yeah, how about you? What, do you think games can fuck you up more than? Oh yeah, definitely. I know I still get fucked up with by films quite easily. Um, so I don't really go and sit in the cinema for that reason. But yeah, like like legitimately moments playing pt when it was me and that was with Catherine there as well and we were just gripped by a, like a like a really rare kind of dread <laughs> um which you sort of think i hate it in the moment but what a spectacular like feat to make someone feel that emotion you know yeah that's it like uh, pt is almost like a a game that is like a you know like a what's it called when something hangs around your neck and you sort of weighed down by it we'll cut this out of the podcast <laughs> what's that called uh, when it's like a yeah uh, like, like albatross is that uh, i term? was gonna say albatross but i don't know if i'm confusing my my nautical things could just be an anchor albatross we should probably keep this in yeah do people like imagine backing us on patreon and people don't know what the fuck they're talking about they just suddenly like wander into our google <laughs> So I have to actually like, I have to load Google. So the only window I've got open is Microsoft Edge, and that doesn't have Google by default. That's so bad. <laughs> I'm not technologically literate. Albatross meaning. Yeah, I know about the bird. Fucking Merriam-Webster. <laughs> Google's so, like it's a bird. <laughs> what do you need to know? Something that causes oh something that greatly hinders incompli- accomplishment. That's the one, Matthew. We did it. Okay, yeah. so. I get the impression that PT has been a bit of an albatross. Ray, for, oh, um, nice. <laughs> for, big Good word, use eh? of that terminology. <laughs> for the uh, horror genre, because I think that certainly I see I saw a couple of free indie game horror people be like, oh, I wish people would just stop remaking PT and make something original, which I think is a fair mm. assessment. And I even feel like I do see PT um, influence like films now as well. I felt there was a real PT moment in Smile, which is bad. And then um, big PT vibes to the the feel of the house in um, Barbarian as well, which um, is good. Have you seen Barbarian, Matthew? Uh, no, no. Too scary for you, I imagine, at the cinema. Yeah, too scary. I can't, I wouldn't see it at the cinema. I only go. And, I only see comedy horror at the cinemas. This has got like this. Is, it's a good mystery box film. I would recommend like struggling through it when you can rent it. I think you can rent it now. Actually, I would recommend it just to to see what it does. It's not. It's not entirely what it seems from the trailer. So, um, yeah, give it, give it a watch. 
Um, but yes, um, got a bit derailed there. But um, I, yeah, I just really love the idea that someone is like um, basically pushing this little fringe of horror games. And so I kind of, um, I don't, you know, it's, 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 it's actually a really handy infographic they posted that maps all the influences for the different games and where you can play them all, which I might retweet after this um, episode goes live because it gives you the complete puppet combo library of games and you can just they all, they're usually based around one core narrative idea and then like a couple of core gameplay ideas and that's it so yes this is this is it the hill have hills have eyes kind of vibe with a um spooky um spooky family in a horrible house and uh, a cracking Resi- resident evil 4 reference which i won't spoil in case people want to play it so there we go matthew that's me done my first one what's your second one i've been playing uh taji um, I think it's pronounced like that. It's uh, by a solo dev called Matthew Van Devander, and it was suggested to me by one of our listeners, whose name I've rudely forgotten. Um, Bloody hell. Not very nice, Oh, no, it's terrible. I put out a call <laughs> on uh, Twitter for people to suggest good things to me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I will correct that in a later episode. Um, apologies, person who suggested to me, this to me. Um, I even had a lengthy exchange with them over it. That's how rude I am. Was um, it um, Fachewachewa? Oh, that Fachi? sounds about right. Had a quick Google there, quick look, and uh, yeah, that nice. would appear to be the one. Yes, apologies um, if I pronounced your name wrong, but yeah, this was this was suggested to me uh, by that kind listener, <laughs> and it's a now I would say it's a two D clone of The Witness, uh, in that you're walking around a sort of two D top down world, sort of Zeldery solving panel puzzles which pull from all kinds of environmental details and other strangeness in the world um though looking up the developer of this and reading on his blog uh he doesn't like rile against it being called a witness alike i think he recognizes that the idea of walking through a kind of landscape a very open landscape and picking puzzles at your leisure and working out to solve them using the same input grid is quite witness-like. Um, but uh, if you read through his blog, which is absolutely fascinating, actually, really, really close, um, like, step-by-step blog sort of development of this game over many, many years, um, kind of reminded me a bit of, like, Tom Francis's blogging, actually, about his games, like, just someone who's really open about his process. and um, ah, someone cleverer than me, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> someone much cleverer than me. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, talking about his puzzle philosophy, and on there he said he actually, they set out to make a Zelda game, uh, an open world sort of Zelda game pre-Breath sort of Breath of the Wild, but an open world 2D Zelda game. And um, one of the problems he had with Zelda was that, uh, you know, all, there wasn't any, like, universal puzzle design, like the puzzles in each dungeon, because they're built around tools and items, um, you know, are quite distinct from one another. So there's no kind of like escalation across the dungeons to one core idea. So he was trying to build a kind of puzzle system which would would have like the universal input across the whole world, which actually when you bought, when you think about it, the kind of is sort of what the witness is. Um, then the witness came out and he was like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of game I, I've been talking about and wanting to play and then carried on with the 2D sort of thrust of the Zelda thing to make this game where, like I say, you walk around this island sort of solving puzzles. I haven't got hugely far in it because it is, I think, much harder than The Witness. I feel like The Witness, you know, without giving it away, there's like there's there's like layers to The Witness. There's the kind of surface level of these kind of panels that you interact with, and then there's like much bigger stuff in the world which you have to kind of find out. And 
because of that, I feel like it sort of throws you a bone with the puzzle stuff. Like it's much easier to kind of get a foothold. Like I, I kind of, I, I made my way through the kind of the base puzzles of the witness quite easily. I'd say this is much harder trying to figure out like the rules that kind of define each region so like the witness each part of the island has like a a flavor of puzzle all with this grid where you light up cubes to solve them some of them are like tap into the environment so that there's one that i'm not going to tell you what the gimmicks are because it will spoil the puzzles but there's there's one where there is a relationship between the panels and some trees that are near those panels, which, again, felt very similar to something in The Witness. Um, There's another one where there's a relationship between the panels and the gravestones. Um, I mention those two as those are the only two regions I've been able to make any kind of headway in. Um, This has been a lot of me... I mean, I've literally been walking around this island looking at stuff going, I have no fucking idea where to begin (laughs) with this. Um, Not in a bad way. Like, it just doesn't... It doesn't throw you any bones, this one. And I feel like you have to kind of go in in a more experimental mood than you maybe do in The Witness, in that I feel like you almost have to start, like... And maybe people who've played this game and know this game better than me will say this is actually a really crude way of thinking about it. But I found myself, like, banging stuff, almost trying to brute force solutions to then, like, reverse engineer what the rules are. Like, I had no clue from the environment, like, where I was meant to be starting. I couldn't work out the relationship. So I just started tinkering, and then maybe the panel would be like, ping, this is the right combination. And then you'd be like, okay, what is it about this combination that relates to this nearby pillar? Or what, what is it about this combination? What's this combination telling me? So it feels more like a kind of a sort of, you know, roll up your sleeves and kind of dig in and, and try and work things out, where I think the witness gave you a bit more guidance through its puzzles um but it is still a a, you know a really super engaging thing in that you know it's there like there's you know it's not like you're missing an item or you're missing a key piece of information that you know it's you can tackle these regions in any order you just have to to have the logic brain to 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 make those connections And, and when they come it's like incredible like the, the the few regions i have beaten in this game you know i felt like wow uh, you know uh, my brain was really like firing on all cylinders to, to work that out and, and and make that kind of progress um you know it's the kind of game that get it really like sort of sticks with you in that you're constantly thinking about it and then you're like oh maybe i'll try that when i get back to my steam deck so this holiday i've been sort of dipping into that a lot and um going slightly crazy because the paintings on the wall of our hotel room looked like some of the puzzles as well <laughs> so right. it's like i couldn't fucking escape this game like no matter how hard i tried well, that's um, some howard hughes shit right there that's like just seeing <laughs> the puzzles everywhere yeah but it's yeah it's it's definitely it's it's pretty hard it's pretty unforgiving but like the you think if i look this up online this game will just be ruined you know like mm. all it has is what the secret to each puzzle solution is you know what the rule is that you're trying to work out and in some of the cases like you know i did five panels in a row and got correct answers because i thought i had the correct rules and then i'd get to the sixth panel and actually my rule set didn't work for it and you'd be like oh shit i I got the wrong end of a stick and then you go back and you try and unpick those solutions to try and work out what the rule is it's um you know, not not flashy and not too showy. Certainly not for everyone, but 
if you played The Witness and really liked it, I would say this feels like a really nice next step. Mm, okay, interesting. I, I actually thought like I didn't quite have the patience for The Witness itself. Um, I right. did a few of those mazes and then said, oh, I'll just, let's just put on like an episode of Buffy or something at the time. And I was like, <laughs> just not in the right. And I thought, okay, I'm probably too much of a dunderhead for this. Or... You know, it's like it just requires more patience than I have. So, um, yeah. yeah, I guess like if you like the witness, that's a good way to know if you'll probably like this, right? Yeah, I think yeah. Like, I wouldn't. I, I'd say if you're going to try one of them to see if you liked this style of game, I would still. I still think the witness is is more accessible. Also, just because it's like a three D game, like it's a it's a bit more interesting to be in that world. Like the island is visually a lot more sort of stimulating. Like this is you know uh, it feels like a sort of smaller production and but it still has like a a real charm to the world and you know it almost looks a bit like those sort of when people used to do those d makes of like 3d games into 2d style like you could almost think this was a d make of the witness because it's so many sort of similarities with you know panels opening like gates to the weird little areas and you go in there and there'll be some like strange props you have to interpret it's, it's got a, a very very similar energy but um i think definitely a, a, a stiffer difficulty to it but um mm. it, of, of of the things which were recommended to me before i went on holiday this is this is the one i've played the most of um was having a, a real good time very steam deck friendly as well mm. yeah i should, should say stay out of the house it's not steam deck friendly um i played it and when i started the game your characters are staring at the floor, and no matter what you did, they'll just continue to stare at the oh, floor. Right. So, uh, I thought you were going to say it was so scary, you might throw your Steam Deck up in the air and shatter it. <laughs> Side note, though, Matthew, I do love the idea of you like, um, right? I've got, I've got to finish this pint of syrup thick hot chocolate and get back to Taji <laughs> in my hotel room, and then like uh, putting Taji down and seeing Taji on the walls. That's a really good, like, what a great sort of um, p- picture of your holiday. That's that paint. Oh, that paint. So I would say, um, that's maybe that's tickled me. That has very like the visual style's quite quite interesting. Actually, I wasn't what, quite was expecting from what you described, but then when you said the D make thing, I was like, yeah, that does kind of track. Actually, it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, it reminds okay. me a bit of that. Uh... Oh god, what the fuck was it called? Oh fuck, what's that iPhone thing with the little guy with the sword? Oh, um, little guy with the sword. Oh, I do know what you mean. You but... know the? Uh, it was like that art house game. It was made by that that sort of art housey collective. You don't mean Monument Valley, do you? No, not Monument Valley. I was thinking of um. Oh, I keep thinking sword, sword and, and sorcery. sorcery. Yeah, is that one? That is one. That's like is that not like a two D side on game? But maybe uh, anyway. What a what a useless <laughs> avenue. Uh, it's like albatross all over again. <laughs> Go well. This it? is the kind of brain that's struck. This is why I'm struggling with Taji because <laughs> I've got this so many half remembered thoughts. It's a thick layer of hot chocolate pushing down on Matthew's brain oh, cells. Oh, it now. honestly is. <laughs> like everything in this episode is trying to like break through this like gout the gout <laughs> zone. Uh. <laughs> oh dear uh what a fun thing to joke about that is um okay so my next game matthew very very different vibes here um i completed gradius advance i'm going through a slight <laughs> gba thing at the moment mm. um now i'm not like much of a 2d side on shooter guy uh but weirdly when it comes to game boy advance I, I that's probably where the most of my interest in that genre has like solidified it doesn't have that many of them on there but Astro Boy, Omega Factor is, you know, one of my favourite, one of my favourite sort of like 2D 
games full stop it's fantastic right. kind of treasure um distilled licensed version of like a basically gunstar hero style game um yeah where you play as astro boy it packs in loads and loads of references to the lore um i believe astro boy was created by a guy who basically worked himself to death having four hours sleep every night which makes me really sad when i think about it because such a cheery little character but that's being a manga artist i guess um <laughs> bleak note there um but yeah so i got massively into that and then um and yeah gunstar superheroes on gba and then um, I was I was some at the moment. I'm just playing through loads and loads of cyberpunk, so we can talk about it on next week's pod. Yeah, um, I kind of needed a little break from that, so I thought I'll just complete Gradius Advance in like two sittings, which is what I did. Mm. Um, basically, like as a shooter, these are really these are so hard to describe. How the hell did anyone ever review these and be coherent about it? Do you know what I mean? Basically, you pick that you you basically choose the weapons that you have and choose the directions the weapons move in. So what that means is you might have like a weapon that can fire backwards or diagonally and basically you pick the right semblance of shapes that that, that suits your playstyle, I guess. Um, and then as you collect power-ups, um, you gain these um, these little kind of like beams of light, these little balls of light that you accumulate and they, they will kind of fire multiples of the same, the same weapon. So basically what that means is you can... Um, they they follow you around basically like like ducklings following their mother I guess like uh, oh, God yeah, that's, that's a terrible that's, example. that's classic that's a classic shoot 'em up um, <laughs> metaphor Edge always used that <laughs> oh, it's a, oh good it's really hard recording a podcast after work this is why I do them Saturday mornings normally Matthew because um, I know what an albatross is and I love yeah. it ducklings that's that's way more evocative to me than you know whatever terminology people do use you should review these games <laughs> if you them. Basically, yeah, they just they they follow you in a little trail, and then they will they'll replicate the fire that you that that you are doing basically. So if you're firing missiles in that direction, and your three little balls of light are just below you, they will fire in tandem. You can basically cover half the screen in fire. Um, if you die, the little um, little light things disappear, and then you're back down to like no power ups. Essentially, you have to build it up again. But what that means is that if you're um, if you kind of like line it up so all your little like uh, sort of uh, balls of light are pointing horizontally that means that you can do like four times the firepower essentially by shooting in that direction basically this is all basic shit to gradius people this that <laughs> it's like completely meaningless but um it's a really kind of like beautiful early gba game uh, from a series i'm not that familiar with and i had a really good time going through it like um even has slightly puzzly bits like <laughs> basically this this bit was like a, a wall of like baked beans like vibrating baked beans in this kind of like weird sci-fi sci-fi space um and what what it means is you basically have to you have to like shoot a tunnel through um through this kind of like wall of baked beans and then speed through quickly before the tunnel kind of replicates itself and basically fills the holes back in so um there's like a, a whole sequence you have to go through these walls constantly and that's that was really really tricky um there's like some good cursed energy to the final levels where you see these like planets that have like faces in them and stuff like like uh fleshy organic faces and then at the end you destroy a brain and some big eyes i guess they were playing a lot of star fox or maybe star fox ripped them off i have no idea what the uh lineage is of this genre um but i had a good time playing it matthew do you ever have this one on gba uh, I didn't know. No, I'm I'm trying to uh, like fill some big shoot 'em up gaps. Well, which I mean, it's just uh, gaps. It is one massive gap. Um, you know, I've always had a couple of these games at like every sort of every console, every stage of life. But I, I I've never written about them. I can't speak eloquently about them at all. Um, 
I'm always forgetting which series is which. Like, which is the one where all the enemies are fish? You know, it's <laughs> things like that. And but I, I love reading about them, and hearing about them. Um, yeah, I should I should play this one. You love hearing about them from people who describe fucking beams of light in the form of ducklings following their mother. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, but like you just I don't know. There are certain people who are really into these. Like I really like reading Martin Robinson stuff on Eurogamer about this genre because he obviously you know. He seems to really know his stuff, but also isn't like gatekeepery about it at all. You know, he yeah. seems to just have quite a almost like quite a casual affection for them, which which is sort of I think you know something I might have as well. Like I like I you know I like the ones that I that that I like. Um, Does he have and... a Vic Viper as his like Twitter handle as well? Yeah, that, that sets the sets the tone. That's uh, yeah. nice hardcore. But, um, but but yeah, I've played like quite a lot of Drainus this year and really like that. Um, so, yeah, it's something like, and it's an easier, like, hole to fill than JRPGs, you know? Because <laughs> mm. you can, you know, in the length it takes you to play through one JRPG from 1995, you could probably play, like, 40 of these games. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I hope to make more headway <laughs> in the coming months. Yeah, it's also, like, just a nice way to be exposed for, to, like, the... Here is the most beautiful pixel art that we had at the time. Yeah, that's that's like that definitely like um works here. This was actually like it was reviewed reasonably well. It got like high like sevens and eights. It wasn't like beloved. So I get the impression this is not considered the very top tier of this series. But um, I, I very much enjoyed it as a nice way in. And it also led me down a weird um sort of wiki rabbit hole, Matthew. This was actually de- uh, developed by a company called Mobile Twenty One. Mm-hmm. who a Japanese video game developer that was a 50-50 joint venture between Nintendo and Konami um, what? which yeah established in 1999 and was basically built with um, mostly with an interest in uh, linking the GBA to a mobile phone essentially so Pokemon Crystal they have a credit on that I think that's I think that maybe in Japan had some kind of online element to it um mm-hmm. if you kind of logged on but basically they worked on a bunch Ash of GBA is logged on <laughs> <laughs> Ash knows exactly who this company is, I'm sure. Um, but basically, their whole venture was terminated in December 2002. So I guess as like it, the actual online age emerged, this um, and the and the mobile adapter Game Boy service was uh, was sort of like ended. Like the company just like disappeared along with it, basically. So yeah, they have they have credits on this. They have credits on Pokemon Crystal, Mario Kart Advance, and then like random stuff like Jurassic Park Three Island Attack. And then that took me down another wiki rabbit hole of remembering there were three GBA games based on Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> yeah, so this, I guess, Matthew, you might I like this. the idea that somewhere in Japan there's a pixel artist who had to make a sprite of William H. Macy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a nice thought isn't it um so yes i do i do remember there being a kind of weird number of these games around but uh yeah so um yeah so the the company just it doesn't have a credit past 2001 and so when the the service was cancelled on 2000 in 2002 i assume that they just disappeared with it but um yeah relatively uh interesting background there this probably wouldn't make one of my um selections for the game boy draft matthew because um okay. i've already spoiled the fact that i uh i rate astro boy and that would be my pick for this genre i uh, see Ast- astro boy i think you've now established as like <laughs> a, a, a pick that would really upset you if you didn't get uh, right yeah so that would make for good podcast content if you yeah. want to take it from me I have to listen back to that fucking Kirby episode and find out which of those you like on GBA so I can take that from you. Um, J- jokes got... on you, none of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, go. please don't take Amazing Mirror. Um... <laughs> 
so yes, um, Gradius Advance, uh, very much a, a good uh, pace breaker between side quests and Cyberpunk 2077. What's your next game, Matthew? Uh, my next game is a Plague Tale Requiem. I've been playing a bit of this, courtesy of Games Pass. Thank you very much, Uncle Microsoft, for this free AAA game. This is the sequel to uh, Plague Tale Innocence, which was, maybe a bit unfair to say it put a Sobo on the map, but felt like a, a big arrival of sorts uh, for a studio which had done lots of really interesting stuff and made lots of interesting games in the past. They obviously made the new Flight Simulator 2. But this, at a time when not many people are entering the uh, third-person, sort of story-driven action game space, here they come with something which I thought was a, a pretty great first effort at doing a kind of Naughty Dog-esque stealth survival game um, set in uh, medieval France in the middle of plague times. You are escaping from the Inquisition who are after you for some uh, mysterious reason and there is a plague of rats and the rats are enemies, the Inquisition are your enemies and ever so occasionally you can turn the rats and the Inquisition against each other with lots of flesh-chomping fun. This is like very much a bigger... Well, I don't. I wouldn't say better sequel yet. I, you know, I've, I've only played like five hours of it or so. But it kind of takes everything from the first game. Very beautiful, kind of like The Last of Us. You sort of go through these gorgeously designed sort of sets, really. Then occasionally it opens up into like a puzzly bit or a stealthy bit, all revolving around escaping these guards, escaping the rats, using light and darkness to kind of control where the rats move. Did you play the original Plague Tale? Just a little bit of it. And I, I did think that for a game that probably had a, the fraction of the budget of a Naughty Dog game, it did a very, very good job of get, of like approximating what those games do well in terms of cinematic presentation. This is like that, but with a, a bit more juice behind it. I mean, it's pretty spectacular looking. This is a not a cross-gen game. It feels like they've really got, they've gone like mega pretty over like lower performance modes i don't think there's the option of alternative modes in it it's just like this is what you're getting and we've gone for for just something super super gorgeous like amazing lighting i wouldn't say it's like naughty dog levels yet but we are talking about a very different like studio and budget prospect here a lot more ambitious in terms of like the amount of like real estate you cover in these games one of the things that always amazes me about naughty dog is like the illusion that you're passing through like a really massive world like you go from a to b and like you'll come out into a city and you'll see across to a tower and think oh man i've got to get across this whole city and somehow they kind of weave it into these amazing set pieces and it it feels like you've really taken a longer journey and this game definitely has a lot a lot more of that even in these early chapters i feel like i've seen almost as much as i saw in the first game like it feels just absolutely massive even though you're only ever in a very small part of it any given time i still think the rats are an absolutely incredible technical and mechanical achievement there's swarms of thousands of rats um if you walk into them they instantly eat up and die so all the puzzles are based around lighting fires and then the rats will flee the light so it's a bit more systemic than the first one like the areas are much bigger it feels like there are like alternate solutions and it gives you the toys that you spent a whole game building up in the first game you get quite early on in this so you're able to put flames out to kind of marshal rats to certain places you're able to light new flames to scare them away again and like where you can shepherd the rats around to your advantage to take out enemies and stuff is very nicely done you know in a, in the similar way that like how last of us one turned into last of us two there are 
like these much bigger sort of stealth sandbox areas where you have the choice to kind of fight your way through sneak through try and use the rats to take enemies down and this time they've changed the skill system which kind of how you behave in those sandboxes like whether you choose to go quietly or play aggressively levels up your character in those skills to kind of encourage that further use so first game maybe felt like oh this area is like a combat area this area is like a rat puzzle area this area is a stealth area those those elements are a bit hazier and kind of blurring together a bit more and you have the kind of choice to play with them not a stellar stealth game i will say like i think the rules are quite easy to manipulate you know it's not like metal gear in terms of like ai or mechanics and that's probably a good thing because the character's quite stiff and you know i think it, it it probably leans more towards puzzle solving like it feels like there's a solution to the area rather than you playing it as a stealth thing hmm. but i am fond of it and i really love the rats like the sight of them all their thousands of eyes glinting in the darkness is like genuinely creepy and the way that they'll swarm into a room and like you can be in an empty barn and then all of a sudden like the walls will crack and then they'll just come pouring in it it looks genuinely evil when the rats turn up which <laughs> is something i loved about the first game and that they just they keep doing it over and over again but i'm pretty sure it's a trick i'll never get bored of just here's a place and in like three seconds we're gonna fill it up with rats somehow and every single time you're like oh shit this is this is bad news um <laughs> Very shiny thing. It feels like an absolute no-brainer on Game Pass to me. Not sure if it's got, like, enough new ideas. Certainly not so far, but I'll see in the long run, you know, for this to be a potential Game of the Year contender. Because the original was one of my favourite games from that year. Definitely scratches that itch. Especially on it. I mean, it is on PS5 and PC as well. But on Xbox, which has a pretty non-existent first-party lineup this year. This feels sort of a bit like a Xbox are trying to plug a gap by putting it on Game Pass, a bit like they did with Rise of the Tomb Raider. It's like a, we're not making these games, or we haven't made, we haven't finished one of these games. So, you know, this is the closest thing we've got to The Last of Us. But, you know, give it a go on us, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's... Um... There's nothing wrong with that. I think you can play it on PS5 anyway, right? It's on PlayStation. It's just yeah, like with, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Tr- I'm not trying to say like it belongs to Xbox at no. all, but like, well, they've marketed it loads, right? Like when they announced it, yeah. it was in their showcase and stuff. So they are, they fully backed it. I imagine that the Microsoft money involved is part of why this looks so lavish. You know, like, um, yeah. I, I, I'm also I'm big into the idea of uh, a sort of like a game that should be a seven turning out to be an eight and then that developer going from like double a to triple a between sequels that's cool right like yeah uh, well done yeah. to Asobo, is that right yeah you'd think they'd be top of the pile for like if microsoft was to go into buy another studio i'd you know if you know if they've got any money left in the coffers after <laughs> buying every other studio going this scratches a big third person linear gorgeous story experience which xbox don't currently have they might have one in hellblade 2 when that turns up mm. and a flight simulator which is just you know such a technical marvel just think they'd be like let's get these guys they've they've given us two of our like strongest offerings or two things which are both great games also like three-year turnaround fast you know for the sequel to come out in this day and age where Mm. people aren't making these games because they're too costly and too you know risky you know you have to you have to land big like i say, i don't think this is quite naughty dog level of obsessiveness but it's like a pretty good impression and it moves at such a pace that i don't think you really notice like i saw some people ding this one for like 
oh, the NPC characters are like really animatronic in their movements. But, you know, if you stand there for five minutes watching a person, an NPC do the same thing over and over again, when do you do that? You know, I don't. If they were doing something more interesting in The Last of Us or Uncharted 4, I walked past them and didn't see. So, mm. I don't know, because this is the only thing which is like The Last of Us. It gets compared quite closely to Naughty Dog, and it's, it's, it's not quite that, but... Listen, yeah. if it means they get to make a new game in three years, like, I'll take that over waiting fucking five years or whatever <laughs> for the next whatever we're going to get from Naughty Dog. Yeah, that does feel like we're in the forever cycle with that now. Uh, and it's definitely like the days of uh, getting it Uncharted in two years are <laughs> well behind oh, us. Um, I just, like, yeah, yeah I, just, I just, you know, this shows you it doesn't have to be the... It doesn't have to be the way, you know? Like, mm. these things can happen. You know, these sequels can come out and be really dead solid. And yeah. that's the kind of diet greedy, greedy Matthew wants. So. <laughs> greedy Matthew. <laughs> oh, that's good. Good uh, good new nickname for you there. Um, okay, last up for me. It's a really brief one, Matthew. But um, I did discuss this in... Uh, I, patrons might not know actually they, they've probably seen the email notifications but we do like a monthly newsletter where we talk about what we've been playing watching and reading it's like a you know it's a bonus we don't make a big deal about because it's just a wall of text essentially but um I, I i quite enjoy doing it some months and matthew i get the impression you deeply resent doing it but like um <laughs> no it's because you write you write you've got these interesting thoughts i just struggle to come up with anything uh, it's because I don't write in my day job anymore, apart from you know press releases and stuff. So it's like it's it's quite it's a, like a bit of the old dipping into writing for games media thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think that's why I've just got lots of pent up and um, boring opinions to share with people. So yeah, I actually played the Yuffie DLC for FF Seven Remake. Um, mm. I this game came out. I made I made a big deal about the fact this was my uh, pandemic game in a- April twenty twenty. I. Uh, during a very bleak birthday, I remember playing this and just wandering around sad Midgar, thinking about how I just couldn't go to the pub. And all I could do was um, order chicken wings from that one restaurant that pretended to be about 20 different restaurants on um, various <laughs> delivery apps, Matthew. Remember that? That was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so going back to this, is kind of weird. It was like, um, you look at the skybox of Midgar, and I can't help but think, oh yeah, this is... This oh yeah, I spent my pandemic here. This is like weirdly Midgar was kind of my prison. It was like um, <laughs> games were like I did eventually get to the point where I found games to be quite welcome escapism from the pandemic. But it took me a little while to acclimatize when they were like the only thing. You know what I mean? Mm. There was a bit a bit of that going on with um, media consumption during those days. I wasn't like a big oh my god, I just watched a hundred episodes of Shit's Creek kind of guy. I was a bit like I fucking hate this. And games are like <laughs> I'm barely hanging on. All I can do is play Apex till two a.m. every day and that's that's all i got um so yeah go back legends was your shit's creek it was yeah and now i just don't play it because i've just got a completely dysfunctional relationship with it and cannot (laughs) cannot um, reprise it in any way shape or form um so yeah square enix released this dlc for um for ff7 which is introduces a character yuffie who is uh one of the party members you get in the main final fantasy 7 game she is an optional party member um, in the main game, I imagine they won't do anything like that with the remakes because uh, the idea of an optional character in a modern game is way too fucking expensive. Um, so yeah, she turns up here. She's got like a little mission going on in uh, Midgar. She's from uh, Wu Tai, which is uh, yeah, one of the other kind of like uh, countries, as it were, on the um, on the Final Fantasy VII world map. Um, she goes around with this dude who's a, like a he's a bit of like a 
a, so he's got a bit of a Star Trek red shirts energy about him. He's not right. a character from the um, from the main from the main game. So you're kind of there thinking, well, I don't see this guy like going the distance. We'll see how it goes. But um, no, 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 yeah, so- David from Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> and what it what it basically amounts to is going through lots of recycled feeling environments and uh, and like doing bits of just doing like bits of combat with Yuffie's new co- um sort of like combat system. What is good about it is they've added like added like a combat sync element, um, which basically like you press a button and then Yuffie and her male companion will start um f- hitting an enemy in like at the same time. And what it reminded me of actually was a bit of a, like how you would coordinate attacks in um, Final Fantasy thirteen when you like flip to like a different stance that would get get you to like um basically stagger the enemy so you could do maximum damage it reminded me of that ff7's combat system is very similar to ff13 generally i would say but definitely more so in this expansion i was put in the mindset of that um Mm. but what is the most interesting thing about it for people who might have played the ps4 ff7 remake but not this is that it's got a bunch of new cutscenes featuring all the characters so it actually gives you a little bit more story of ff7 proper than you than you got from the main game um, so you, see, you actually see them leaving Midgar and going to uh, Calm and stuff, and they encounter um, Yuffie. I think like is it's like a cutscene, new cutscene. It's got like Barrett and um, Tifa in it and stuff. So it's got it's got little bits of extra story, um, and it takes you back to the kind of like uh, sort of Shinra uh, sort of area as as well in in the game, the Shinra building. So um, it's like it, what is recycling content? It was just about nutritious enough to be worth the uh, i don't know 16 quid or something i paid for it matthew so um, yeah yeah a little taste of that and it did remind me oh yeah they're gonna they, there is a uh, you know next year there is another ff7 remake game coming out that's uh allegedly happening at the end of next year so uh yeah i don't i don't assume you i assume you didn't play ff7 remake i can't remember what no, it is, it's quite high up my list of to do though um, oh, yeah. on my to-do uh, list. <laughs> that's, that's good. After you finish that Rennie, you'll play FF7 remake, right? <laughs> Bingo. Um, <laughs> it, honestly, I'm feeling like gout aftershock. <laughs> uh, oh, I regret that Flemish beast stew. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I bought this DLC for Catherine for her birthday uh, maybe last year. She still hasn't played it. <laughs> So uh, I love the idea of buying DLC. Anything. I love the idea of buying DLC for a birthday gift. It's like I got you four hundred coins for this moba or whatever. That's, you know no, what I that's mean? like a fun <laughs> thing. It's like I thought, oh, next time you turn on the console, it'll be there. It's like, yeah. a, here it is. Um, so, but uh, yeah, no, it hasn't been played. I don't think. So. Well, that was it. Was the same deal with me, but I, I had just about enough r- reason to reinstall it because i also didn't actually like there's a secret bahamut fight in the main game which i didn't actually do but it did it did make me marginally more pumped to play the follow-up which allows you to leave midgirl which i'm very excited about because uh yeah i can't i can't spend any more time there i just can't so, yeah uh, i yeah i'll definitely play remake and the dlc before that part two comes out because i want to be part of the conversation I, I i i missed out on it during lockdown i remember just there was so much tweeting going on and exciting bars and people comparing things and making little meme jokes I, I really felt like i missed out on something quite big there so not again. yeah it's a it's definitely like a, a big shiny thing it maybe doesn't have like the the scope of what i wanted it to for what i wanted a game with ff7 remake you know in the title to to do but it's mm. um it's a solid it's a solid foundation for what comes next so yeah those are my games matthew it was actually we've got like an hour of chat that's not too oh, bad is it we it's uh, quite a lot quite a lot out of six games geez i thought it's gonna be a lean one so 
Take a quick break and we'll come back with a list of questions. Welcome back to the podcast. No doubt you heard some uh, music from Matthew's Rat Game there or Gradius Advance or something. I don't know what music we'll, we'll put there yet. I just wanted to call it Matthew's Rat Game. I thought that just amused me. Um, Matthew, do you want to read out this first question from our listeners? Yes. New to the podcast and listening to old episodes, I've sometimes heard reference to games you respect but don't like. What games do you like but not respect? Uh, that's from Rabuku. That's a really interesting one. So I think like respect but don't like is how I would describe my relationship with Gears of War. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I do I do enjoy it and I do think it's like well made, but I suppose the universe of it I don't love exactly. But right. the actual technical like the 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 act of creating it and how good the shooting feels and how it is like the top of its top of its class when it comes to third person shooting that i respect but i don't necessarily like it in that right in that base you know oh i get excited about gears kind of way that's that's kind of what i i would like um add as a game that that fits that category what what, do, what fits that for you matthew what do you respect but don't like Oh, is that what I thought we were doing? We like, but we don't respect. Yeah, yeah, we are. But I was wondering if you had an example oh, of the other one first. Oh, to right, set the yeah, scene. I'll to help <laughs> set the scene. Sorry, I was confusing. Um, yeah, well, gout brain again. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, there's so many genres which, you know, I will happily read anecdotes about and sort of, you know, reporting from in that game where I can appreciate. Oh, wow, this is really clever. Like what it's doing, you know. I mean, we're talking as broad as like the MMO genre or, mm. you know, management or uh, 4X games. But I, it's not I don't like them. I just can't, I, I just haven't got the brain for them or the time. You know, the, I haven't got the time for MMOs, but I haven't got the brain for 4X games. Like I've, I've tried playing Civ and I'm just so shit at it. I just don't have a, an ounce of strategy in me, as everyone will know from the drafts. Um <laughs> So I guess you know they're, they're they're big examples, but they count as things where I'm like, I I know that these things are genius. You know, I can listen to these developers do interviews, even though I don't like their games, and appreciate what they're saying. And um, you know, there's there's so much amazing writing about them, but can't say they like I like trying to play them because they make me feel dumb. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really good way of putting that. So respect, but don't like. And that would apply to yeah, I agree. Four X games. I remember reading um, uh, Rich McCormick on PC Gamer back in the day, where like a uh, diary feature on Crusader Kings two with a Game of Thrones mod installed, right? Um, and that was a great medium to enjoy Crusader Kings without having to like feel daunted by the just the, the <laughs> right. just the, the act of looking at the map in that game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and just being like, it's kind of like you can boil it down to oh, uh, my nephew just got fucking killed and now I'm having war with France or whatever. And like that's that's what I need in terms of like boiling down that genre for me. Um, I will one day give that genre a proper try. It's not happened yet. Uh, I think Stellaris will be the one for me. But yeah, mm. that's a good example. MMOs as well, yeah. Like uh, it is fun to read about all the historical uh, sort of like inter- historically interesting things that happened in WoW, like in the early days of WoW, for example, that is genuinely interesting to read about. But mm. I would, I have no intention of experiencing WoW myself. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> um, so what about games that you like but don't respect, Matthew? Do you come up with an example for this? Uh, it's, quite, it's quite hard because if yeah. I like them, it's because there's something I respect about them. <laughs> often, um, like I've got a sort of soft spot for very bad 
five out of ten point and click adventures. Like when I was growing up, I loved the genre so much that I will happily play them and sort of brute force my way through terrible item combinations. You know, it, we're talking about the likes of sort of Secret of Files and Guska. Um, some of the older Sherlock Holmes. I mean, I was actually thinking, do the new Sherlock Holmes count as this? In that, I don't particularly respect a lot of the. I think the. I think the 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 brain deduction sort of connecting the synapses system is actually is clever, and I I do respect that. But before Frogwares did that with Crimes and Punishments, like that, they made about ten Sherlock Holmes games. I played some very early ones. Uh, Sherlock Holmes in the case of the either silver mirror or silver earring i can't quite remember but like terrible but i was such a sort of sold up fan of point and click games that i would force my way through these terrible things so i don't respect those but i kind of like them <laughs> yeah i like that that's a good very specific example um specific. i was also gonna say sonic lost world <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a really that's a really good one <laughs> i mean that's that is like i mean it, for all the st- time I dunk on Sonic, I gave Se- Sonic Lost World, like, I think I gave it low 80s in O&M. I went properly mad in that review. That is, like, a legitimately bad platformer. That's probably <laughs> a worse platformer than, like, your Crash or your Spyros. Or f- it's genuinely bad, but I gave it a pass just because it was a bit like Mario Galaxy. <laughs> like, I liked Mario Galaxy so much that you only had to be a bit like it that I would overlook the game kind of being abysmal. Yeah, but you were on a Wii U mag in 2013. What are you meant to do? Not like Sonic? Do you know what I mean? It's like... Oh, <laughs> I just... You had to stub for what you had, you know? I feel like that's the first... That's that's the moment, like, I lost a bit of Joe Scrabble's respect for the first <laughs> time. I think up until then, like, we, we'd had a pretty good working relationship, and I think that was one where he was like, uh... Oh dear! <laughs> we should do a complete history of how you lost Joe Scrabble's respect, and then, <laughs> and then, uh, like, document times you've either gained or lost his respect. Oh, um, it's it's a it's a long and winding road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Um, yeah, Sonic Lost World. That's I wish I had an example that good. The best one I could come up with is like a horny games. So, um, <laughs> Dead or Alive Three, for example, right? Like, right. Like, like those two original xbox sorry xbox and 360 dead or alive games three and four those are really enjoyable games but i cannot say i respect them you can't i cannot say i respect a game that has like jiggling breast physics in it i just can't but i can fundamentally enjoy the um the jiggling (laughs) the dynamics of the combat oh Um, right yes it's just like it's like you know like any of those 3d sort of um beat-em-ups from that time they're just it's just very, very enjoyable kind of pick up and play style game that yeah. you know also just have really sharp graphical fidelity. I guess you know, but if you take like another, you know, uh, sort of like uh, Team Ninja game from that era, like Ninja Gaiden, that is a game I respect and like. So yeah. you know, it's nothing. It's not snobbery at the idea of the developer or anything like that. It's just that Dead or Alive cannot be respected. <laughs> It's as, it's as fundamental as that, but it can be um, it can be enjoyed on some level. Um, I did struggle with this one. <laughs> I did struggle with this one. Otherwise, Matthew, um, gosh, uh, maybe like maybe on the, along the Sonic lines, maybe Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, because that loses that, that loses all respect. I think by um, having <laughs> obscure characters from the Sonic animated series appear as characters, and you're meant uh... to know who the fuck they are. And like Jay Bayliss put it out to me, like um, there's loads of like rando characters and that that are just from obscure, forgotten bits of Sonic media. So uh, yeah, can I can I say I like it for sure? But 
can I say respect it? Probably not. So, uh... well, on a side note, I like Jay Bayless, but I don't respect him that he knows that about the song. <laughs> oh, the things he knows, it's uh, it's good. I, yeah, he's yeah, like he'll he'll appall you for sure. Um, okay, cool. So, next question, Matthew. Have you guys considered expanding into video content? And I don't think that means like gaining weight and therefore sp- and spilling into another medium just for weight gain. Um, <laughs> thoughts, Matthew? Not really. Like, uh, yeah, you know, we're doing the podcast thing and it works as a podcast. So I think we have talked about, uh, you know, do we upload this as a video to YouTube? And it's, uh, I don't know why we don't. It's too much amazing. work now, isn't it? It's too, too much too work. Much, it's too much work. like 103 and... three of them, you know, it's too many. Um, yeah, uh, no, like, I, I saw, we talked a little bit about this on the Discord this week. Um, for those on there, you can get some bonus Samuel and Matthew content on our Discord. Uh, oh, what a, it's, oft, it's often what frosty. A reason to sign up. Yeah, <laughs> just me basically taking shots at the listeners, and you occasionally responding to a, a, a something about Japanese crime fiction, and that's basically yeah. It. Um, but like I don't know. Like uh, to be honest, the bleak answer is like video, like video production and video. You know, making videos about video games has sort of soured a little bit for me um after leaving rps like i i really liked making those videos and thought i was good at it and then um you know when i when i was made redundant i was a little bit like ah fuck all youtubers and fuck all videos about video games forever which i still have a little bit of no offense to our lovely friends who make videos and do it very well but i'm just a little bit too bitter to re-enter that pool just yet <laughs> yeah i think um i think we just thrive in this medium because it's just you know we don't have to feel self-conscious about being on camera or anything oh, like that like just having to set your room up to be like a game gamer room you know the streaming like if you saw the room i'm in it's so depressing you wouldn't want to watch a video of it <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like mine looks like someone being interviewed from home because they're under house arrest. Like when you look at my sort of background, <laughs> just like piles of stuff. Like um, when you sort of see like Jordan Peterson's um, house and it's full of shit everywhere. You're like, this guy's like not doing okay. It's kind of like uh, kind of like that, but less cancelled. Um, <laughs> Big Jordan Peterson energy to my room. Just to the room, just to the room, Matthew. Oh yeah, just the room. I've just, I've just turned around to see if there was anything I could describe to, to give the impression of like how cursed my room is. There's a Sainsbury's carrier bag with two gamer keyboards in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. There's a huge pile of northern exposure dvds that i'm trying to throw out or plan to take to a charity shop and haven't and a load of dusty books on card magic that i bought at the beginning of the year because i thought i was going to learn magic this year (laughs) that's the best detail i thought i was going to learn magic this year (laughs) that's an amazing thing for an adult in his mid-30s to say i really thought i was this was going to be the year I, I watched a load of magic videos at Christmas and then bought a load of books on a whim. <laughs> this was going to be the year. <laughs> oh, oh, it's killed me, that is. This is going to be the year. Oh, just like, oh, I mean. <laughs> but no. Was, were any of them written by Paul Daniels, Matthew? Or are they all like no, proper? No, some of them are quite famous. Yeah, like the card magicians. I did lots of research before buying these books. 
Oh dear. Sorry, I should not. I should not mock you trying to get into something new. That's like a legitimately <laughs> like good thing to be doing. But yes, just... but like the fact that I, like, I just didn't. You know, I bought them and now they're there, just looking sad. It's just that's why I don't want people to see this room. There's just too much weird stuff about me in this room. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm a bit concerned of how much of a pay, picture it's painting of you and your house, actually. Like, Northern Exposure is very on brand. And then, like, card magic books are like environmental storytelling in, like, you know, in an open world game. We just scan it and it's like, oh, yeah, remnants from when the resident tried to learn card magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, um, what's my answer to this? I'm too fat to be on camera still. Um, basically got to lose about two waist sizes to be presentable on camera. It might happen early next year but not gonna happen oh, right now that's what i said about the card magic <laughs> <laughs> uh, i do put uh, yeah i do i think i do use like being too fat as an excuse too too many times so i'm just a I've, bit too I've chunky got a lot of that too as well <laughs> yeah so there's the question of whether we both even fit on one camera that's like t- up for debate also i think that uh i would just feel a bit too self-conscious about my sort of like uh, how i was presenting myself how i looked and how i was gesturing and i don't really care about that on audio so i can be a bit more sincere i think um mm. yeah and it's like it is just a lot more work um this is like you record two audio tracks you smush them together you edit it it's up and it, that that just feels that feels like efficient whereas i just i don't know what the value would be necessarily and i feel like fewer people would even find us out there than find our podcast where there aren't that many uk games podcasts so we can theoretically stand out a little bit whereas if we're just two more white guys streaming jack yeah. and daxter <laughs> onto like on the internet will anyone but the our 200 most loyal listeners find us probably not is the brutal answer so yeah i don't know i think the only scenario it would happen is if we miraculously became like a 10k a month patreon and i was like oh okay well i'll like just become a full-time video person that's never gonna happen so uh yeah yeah long answer there for scott v but um Hopefully useful. Do you want to read out the next one, Matthew? Yes. Out of all the console drafts you've done, which mini would you actually take home with you? So I thought about this, and That's I think that... Serrano, by the way. Yeah. So I think that I would take probably my Xbox One with me, mm. the original Xbox One. So uh, just to kind of recap, you've got uh, Shenmue 2, Panzer Dragoon Auto, Dead or Alive 3, Psychonauts, Matrix Path of Neo, Halo Combat <laughs> Evolved, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, Halo 2, Burnout 3, Steel Battalion with the mech controller, of course, yep. uh, Ninja Gaiden Black, Jet Set Radio Future, Riddick, Morrowind, Fable, KOTOR, KOTOR 2, Breakdown, Outrun 2, and Crimson Skies. Now, since then, I've played Breakdown, and it's shit, but the rest of it, pretty <laughs> solid. So that I'd take home. That's a, that's a really good selection. You've got a few things in there that are like legitimately hard to play now on modern formats like Jet Set Radio Future um, and The Matrix Path of Neo. So that I think that, for me, would be, be the one, Matthew. How about you? Yeah, I... Like probably probably the Vita. Um, I unhelpfully didn't write down all the games like you cleverly did. But I don't. Well, I, the reason I'd like the Vita is like the Vita I built is probably like the closest to my actual Vita. Like it's got modern feeling games on it. You know, I I don't feel like I'd be winding the clock back too much to be able to like enjoy a lot of those games. Um, just the form factor of it. I'm just in a portable place right now, so yeah, the little Vita would fit fit well into my life. Yeah, I think that's good, Matthew. I'm surprised you wouldn't take your GameCube one. Yeah, some real special games on there. Um, yeah, wouldn't take the old uh, PS2 with Red Faction on it. Not fancy oh, that. Definitely not. <laughs> terrible. So we had like one follow-up question to that as well, Matthew, which is related. Um, which drafts have you done where you actually preferred the other person's mini console? If this has happened now, 
for this, I would probably take your PS Vita because you had Persona 4 in it and Final Fantasy X and then like the the nonary games and then you also had Danganronpa I think on there as well mm-hmm. so that was a pretty good lineup the only one I didn't care about was Persona Dancing All Night which I was like ah, I, I think if you, I think you'd get into it in time uh, maybe like maybe. my Vita is basically just designed to turn you into a mega weeb so by the <laughs> end of it you wouldn't be, wouldn't be the first thing you tried but it'd probably be the thing you played <laughs> the most after playing the others <laughs> yeah that that or I would take Matthew's GameCube home probably um I thought like you know that just there was there was enough good stuff on there with sort of like well you know F-Zero GX and things like that like original mm. Wind Waker Eternal Darkness Metroid Prime that was I will admit that that draft was impossible for me to win, but that was um, a good selection by Matthew. Mm. Um, what about you? Got any suggestions on your side? Your Wii was really good. Had Mario Galaxy 1, Twilight Princess, Metroid Prime Trilogy. Mm. Big mistake on my part. Ghost Squad, <laughs> absolutely classic. Whenever I look back on our two competing Wiis, all I can see is Red Steel 2 on mine, and I really regret that choice. <laughs> like, it's, it's a real bummer having that on there. I just really doubled down on Wii Motion Plus as well, which was weird. Like, yours is probably a more traditional classic Wii lineup, but it is it is really strong. I, I, see, I, I would actually pick your Xbox, if only because I'm a little bit like... I loved my GameCube at the time. I played it, you know, I played so much GameCube. You know, it was it was that age where you have the time just to play games all the time, and I did. But I'm also kind of like... It's not that I think it's overrated, but I'm just a, I'm a little tired of it, you know? I'm a little tired of the game of the endless GameCube obsession, um, so I'm ready for I'm ready for a bit of Riddick, Steel Battalion, Kotor, Crimson Skies. Um, yeah, I've I've had my fill of GameCube and I've got those happy memories locked away. I don't need to keep returning to it or returning to it once even. Yeah, I think um, I think the thing with the GameCube is there's there's like you know those twenty games you picked basically are the twenty games and then there's no more. Well, um, that's it. Yeah, and I, I think it's just like if you if you really dip into that library. You see that, like the, it, it doesn't have as many sort of like multi-format games as the other consoles did at the time, and mm. it's just like it's quite a shallow lineup when it really comes down to it. It's not that many years worth of games, um, so I agree with you that maybe there's a, a tiny bit of an overblown aspect to the GameCube nostalgia these days. People are a little mm. bit over overboard for it. Um, so yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, the Xbox. Um, that's like an actually fucking amazing lineup. I think they they built over the years. It's a little bit. I think that maybe the way the GameCube is slightly overrated, the Xbox is slightly underrated, which is why I yeah, went to I for think it. you know, I think that's that's probably fair. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. How uh, gracious yeah. of me! <laughs> you wouldn't take my PS2 home, Matthew. It's too bitter about that. Uh, got no, Kingdom Hearts in it, so you wouldn't be yeah, interested. Fuck me. <laughs> Time Splitters two as well. He's not having any of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You thought. Yeah, but I thought your PS Vita was excellent. So. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Cool. Uh. So. Hello, you both love movies and other stuff. What are you both <laughs> pining to see adapted for the big screen? That's from Personal the Deer. Mm. We assumed this meant anything, didn't we, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, one would assume video games. Yeah. And if it had to be video games, which I'd... I'd like, there's not many video games I particularly desperate to see TV or films of, like, they exist as video games and are best as video games. I think both Ace Attorney and Professor Layton could be turned not together but individually could be turned into into good films tv shows uh i don't think the film the ace attorney film is very good um i think it's quite bad and 
the Professor Layton anime film was also quite bad. I think you could do them live action, weirdly, and it could work. I think you could. I'd love to see someone try and do uh, Phoenix Wright like Speed Racer style, like that real hyper kind of live action anime thing. I think that could that could be rad as hell. Oh yeah, um, that would be good. Yeah. The closest thing I've come, it's not even, it's not even fan fiction. Like I remember, it, I used to think endlessly about writing a Phoenix Wright film to the point where I've even written bits of it down. I mean, we're talking a long time ago. This is back in the End Gamer days, and not as an End Gamer comedy bit or anything. Like I genuinely thought I had a really good plot for a Phoenix Wright film figured out. Mm. Um, so if if I was given millions and billions to make a, a rad live video game adaptation, it would be Ace Attorney. Did you have? Did you pitch me some kind of hitman TV show idea, Matthew? Where it's like it's a different target every episode. Did something like that? You maybe pitch. <laughs> we maybe talked about that at some point. Right. Just a dumb joke. I did. I, I can't remember. It might have been on the uh, RPS podcast of which it came up. But I, I, I wondered about like I thought if you were to make a hitman show, making it about the targets and like hitman agent 47 is a kind of quite ambiguous presence throughout the show and it's more like it'd be more like succession probably Mm. but a succession where people are getting assassinated every once in a while and agent 47 is more of a like an engine for drama rather than i don't want it to be about him i do not give a fuck about his backstory (laughs) or his character i just want there to be a bald man who occasionally turns up and you can have lots of Easter eggs and like he can be in the background. You can almost see like see him go about his work in the episode, but it's not about him at all. Almost like a horror style figure where <laughs> yeah. if the audience spots him out of focus, they like, oh fuck, there he is. Um that that could be kinda cool. Also, um you could do it so you don't actually know who the target is every episode, so that could be a surprise. <laughs> um and then yeah, it could just be one episode about a waiter who gets fucking punched on the back of the head like uh <laughs> and wakes up and it's like what the fuck has gone on and his boss is dead suddenly and he has to put the rest of his like his life back together that could be quite fun the the thing i used to fantasize about is i always wanted to see a really high-end final fantasy anime like a really really good one like ad- right. ad- ad- straight adaptations of the game stories like you know eight and seven it's like you know 13 26 part series or whatever they do out of um in terms of format but I always wanted to see that when I was a kid. I just thought that with really high-grade animation would really hit the spot. Some of those stories might work quite well in that kind of form. Mm. Um, that aside, in the games front, I don't really get... I don't really hanker to see this stuff make the leap. Like, that, the Last of Us TV show they're making looks very impressive, but I'm not really bothered about watching it. I would rather have seen the same people who are making that show make an original HBO show or make another Chernobyl or whatever. Like, that's yeah. that's fundamentally more interesting to me, you know? Um, yeah. And I, f- I feel like I feel like we're going to go down the bad gamer route of that girl who plays Ellie getting loads of shit from people because she's not exactly the same as the, as the games one. Like, that. that's my big prediction for next year, is that, like, we're going to see shitty gamer boys do that. Like, I'm, I feel like that's inevitable. And, like, mm. I've really... I feel like I've built up a radar for this stuff because I've seen it happen so many times now with... Um, <laughs> women in different pop culture things so i do kind of like wonder about that but um yeah it's otherwise i don't know i'm just sort of i don't really there's like a bioshock film being made i don't think that should exist like bioshock is so strictly like a games related thing i almost think if you did a film you should it should be about something completely different and not the main character of the original bioshock game who is in his nature is like a you know very it's tied to the idea of a video game so that makes no sense to me you could almost do a like watchman tv show style add-on to bioshock which like takes the themes but 
maps the themes to like the television format better you know finds the equivalent ideas but for like tv shows rather than video games hmm. yeah like it could work. work you know like occasionally you get something you're like oh that's gonna be so bad but then like the watchman <laughs> show was just so elegantly done and its relationship to the original comic was was so smart i thought you know like almost freeing yourself but having like enough threads that it did exist in the same universe that yeah work. Yeah, actually, speaking of like Alan Moore adaptations, like not on the game side, but um, I would really love to see good TV adaptations of From Hell and V for Vendetta. I think those mm. they would work really, really well. Just like the the texture of how you could bring those worlds to life in in TV, like different, you know, yeah. uh, sort of period portrayals of Great Britain. Um, Too chewy for films. Yeah, definitely. From Hell is like a really. I mean, you know, it's got a famously bad film with Johnny Depp and Heather Graham, but like um, <laughs> the actual material is just so, so grim and like so real. Um, and like, yeah, I just think that the idea of a kind of borderline mythical Jack the Ripper story done with, you know, with uh, like a mega budget could be really cool. Uh, a whole okay. episode dedicated to that guy's coach ride around the city. Oh, that's that would be a great episode, though, wouldn't it? Like, that's yeah. one of the best issues of a comic book I've ever read. So, um, yeah, you know that's like up there with like the Doctor Manhattan on Mars. It's like a, a one one issue amazing bit of storytelling. So uh, that's the thing about Alan Moore. He's a fucking grump, but he's uh, one of the most talented comic writers who ever lived. So uh, what can you do? Um, any more game suggestions there, Matthew, or should we move on? Uh, no, I, I, if I could will non-gaming stuff into life, I think Wes Anderson could make an amazing Poirot film. Um, mm. I'd love to see his whole kind of diorama cross-section, slightly cartoonish characters. I think vis- his visual style would match to a, like a country manor murder mystery really, really well. Ralph Ray Fiennes as uh, Poirot. Um, I think say Ralph Innocent then. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> secret, secret Ralph Innocent uh, podcast. This. Um, Couple of, uh, there's a book by, uh, I think it's Glenn David Gold, Carter Beats the Devil, which I've always thought would make an amazing miniseries. And it's often been rumoured that it was going to be turned into a show by HBO about the kind of golden age of stage magic, hilariously. Uh, <laughs> and, well, the invention of something which folds into a story and it's sort of a bit magic-y, a bit supernaturally. Um, you know, sort of prestige era, I guess. Um and I'd love to see that. Um, I would have also said the three-body problem, but that is being turned into a TV show, um, which I'm incredibly excited about because that's got some galaxy-brained violence in it, which I I think people will, if they put it on the screen, people will be absolutely astonished by. Are they making it though? That was announced two years ago, and they've done. Yeah, they showed this... footage of it at um, Netflix's Tudum this year. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's, yeah, uh, it's that's like it, it completely passed everyone by that they've shown clips of it, like, and yeah. it got picked up by no one. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, strange. Uh, yeah, yeah, good, uh, good suggestions there, Matthew. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I wish I had more gaming examples, but I'm just not that bothered to oh, be honest. I think like this. Go on, sorry. Yeah, I mean they're just better as games. I just can't think of anything where I'm be like, oh man, I wish this was like more un- less interactive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all this stuff like would have appealed to me more you know 15 20 years ago than it would now it's like how i just i'm not you know i like superhero adaptations were incredibly exciting to me 
you know, when I was like watching Smallville and like the Flash would turn up and I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe they're doing like comic book stuff on the small screen. And now I'm absolutely awash in it. I've not even fucking seen She-Hulk or Miss Marvel. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I take it all for granted completely now. So, um, yeah, I don't think uh, games would make a difference to me. Um, (laughs) Okay, so next up then, Matthew. Do you want to read the next question? Are there any games you were sort of ambivalent about when you played them, but now look back on them incredibly fondly? I started playing Divinity 2 in lockdown and thought the writing was diabolical and the combat really fiddly. But now I think, ah, what a great game. I'd love to go back. Uh, that's from Gerard Manley slash Zach Forrest, which feels like an in-joke I've already forgotten. Yeah, remember how I said my dream game squad entry would be from a guy called Gerard Manley? Oh, so, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Zach changed his name. Very good. A good deep, deep cut there for the back page law heads. <laughs> um, I thought about uh, Enslaved as a good example of this, the game by Ninja Theory. Yeah, sort of like Andy Serkis starring game set in this like post-apocalypse and like um has like two characters you sort of one you control and then another you sort of like escort basically. And um I think like the the story the end of the story is so confusing. Um I think Alex Garland was involved in its creation which kind of does add up after you've seen Annihilation actually and um and Devs where it's like he'll sometimes go galaxy brain in the last act and it might work or it might not. That's like a thing that happens with, mm. with that writer or director, I find. So, um, so yeah, I think that that, that is a game. I, I at the time I was like, huh? at the ending, but now I kind of look back on it and think, well, that, that was cool. That was a you know a, a, a new IP, quote unquote, that was built in this post-apocalyptic world that actually feels like it's got some tendrils that extend to The Last of Us a little bit in terms of like the style of game and the type mm. of post-apocalypse and how the world looked. Um, so that, that's one, Matthew. How about you? I sort of struggle with this because again, I sort of like you know, I like what I liked. <laughs> I didn't actually write anything down. <laughs> what a rubbish answer! Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it, this was hard to think about. Like, that's a very specific thing you're talking about there. Like, generally, if I make my mind up in the moment, it stays that way. You know, it doesn't waver massively. Yeah, I guess. I guess like some of them would be get like in that game scores we got wrong episode. Right, right. Where like. Maybe something like Near, the original Near, which I played and thought, eh, you know, this is just a bit all over the place, and you know, it doesn't, you know, none of it makes particular sense, and I found it quite incoherent. And actually, you know, whether it's just post Automata that everyone, you know, everyone's now, you know, into um, Yakutara's sort of thing, or it just took time to grow on me. But like I, when I played the remake of it. I just much, much preferred it. I just thought, oh, yeah, I could, you know, whatever I liked in Automata, I can see a lot more of that here as well, and I don't know why I bounced off it so much originally. Yeah. You could also take something like um, 50 Cent Blood on the Sand for this because that is a game where I, I played about an hour of it and thought, well, this is the meme game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, found, I found 50 Cent very insufferable anyway. This was... I think like post when I I doubt you remember this Matthew, but there was a time when Kanye West had an album out and and Fifty Cent had an album out and they were both going up against each other and it was kind of like alternative rap versus gangster rap basically and gangster rap lost and then like Fifty Cent lost basically and it was like considered I was reading about it in retrospect it was considered quite a significant moment in like recent music history basically um obviously Kanye West has gone off firmly these days um, but yeah. at the time he was um not uh, embarrassing and controversial so I think in that war Randy Newman was Switzerland 
<laughs> that is the exact punchline I was fishing for, I'll be honest. Um, but basically, it meant that by 2009, I was like, well, I don't really care about 50 Cent and, and anything like this. And But now, I look back on playing that as a kind of like, what an amazing oddity this was. That someone made a high-quality uh, shooter starring this guy. Um, and that, like, you know, there's, there's this kind of, like, latent affection for it. I guess its meme game status has not changed, but... I suppose yeah. I feel I feel differently about the fact that the games industry then was able to give the people a game like that that it made sense to make that at any point in history is I don't know that's that seems more endearing to me now does that make sense yeah yeah that makes perfect sense yeah, yeah that's it I actually one other thing just popped into my head which is that I think I'm slightly fonder of Hitman Absolution now because like the stakes aren't as high because we have all this amazing hitman that followed it kind of took the pressure off for a few years hitman absolution was like not the hitman game i wanted Hmm. and now that i have basically like more hitman than i know what to do with i can sort of enjoy hitman absolution a bit more like we definitely mentioned this on a recent episode i can't remember what we were talking about but the idea that like games feel a bit more high stakes at release and maybe after a couple of years you're like ah i can just i can just enjoy it for what it is and it it didn't have it doesn't have to be amazing anymore it can just comfortably be itself yeah for sure i was trying to think do i feel that way about assassin's creed 3 i kind of like always like the (laughs) idea i always like the idea of the setting of assassin's creed 3 yeah and so when i look at screenshots of it i'm like oh that for a 10 year old game that still looks really nice and I'm really engaged by the idea of that, you know, sort of like the the Civil War as a kind of backdrop. Uh, not Civil War, sorry. It was like the Revolutionary War, was it? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Getting my American history mixed up. That was where we were the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the many times. Mm. Um, I don't know. That wouldn't extend to a, a, a defense of the game mechanically, which I did find I did find it too simple, and I did think that Assassin's Creed needed a bit, a bit of a revamp at the time, which it would later get with uh, Origins, of course. So, uh, yeah, but enough rambling about that, Matthew. Next question. So I'll read this one out, Matthew. So you can invite three PlayStation characters around for dinner. Who are they and why? Um, That's from Betamax Bandit. Hmm. Uh, Should I do my three first? Yeah, I hope one of them's like a fucking Peugeot from Gran Turismo or something. (laughs) Uh, Not quite. Uh, I thought, like, these are things which have been on PlayStation rather than necessarily exclusives, but uh, whatever. Uh, I thought Clancy Brown from Detroit being human. (laughs) Just because I want to meet Clancy Brown. He looks and sounds like him. I know that he'd he'd have to be, like, a, a sad detective, but... Like it's close enough, so uh, that pound <laughs> for dinner. Okay, good. I can have a picture with him, and for, you know, if I showed that to people, they'd be like, "Oh, cool, you met Clancy Brown." I wouldn't say, "Oh, it was the detective from Detroit." You know? <laughs> what What would you say? What would you say about your um, DVDs, your uh, Northern Exposure DVDs, and your Card Magic books, Matthew? Would you have to explain those, or yeah, I'd probably hide those. Well, that would be that would be a that would be a David Cage style mini game where in one panel on the screen you see Clancy Brown walking down our road to our front door to come for dinner, and in the other panel it's me desperately trying to hide all my magic books. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh dear, that keeps giving that one. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, so, so we got that. Um, yeah. Revolver Ocelot from Metal Gear Solid One. Well, he'd betray you, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he just like fucking kill you and walk off? How can and... you betray someone at dinner? Uh, I suppose so, but he's not a good guy. He's good, like, historically. Oh, no, he's not, not a good guy. guy. But I imagine he's got some stories, and also like he could probably do some like cool gun tricks, like <laughs> you know, shoot a pea out of the air or something. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, so that'd be cool. And last of all, uh, that big yellow sort of ball thing from Loco Roco. <laughs> But what if it just... turns into like 18 smaller ones you got to pick them up that's oh, oh no I, I well i wouldn't be up for that as long as he like agrees or, he, or he, she or they i don't know whatever the deal is with like a roco ball yeah, but um good. as long as it like agrees not to break down into multiple loco rocos um, it's only getting one chair basically is what i'm saying <laughs> and how it chooses to use that chair it's up to it. Uh, I would rather it maintained its single form. I think your cats would like fuck it up and then it would turn into the little ones again and then they like slowly disappear over the course of dinner and there'd be none left. I think there's a very serious risk of that happening with the your cat, cats. I, you. Well, listen, I'm closing the cats upstairs during this, this okay. meal because um, like, they don't like strangers in the house and Clancy Brown and Revolver Ocelot are, like, are both quite big, sinister-looking men. So, <laughs> like... They're, the cats are already away. Um, can you eat the loco roco? Uh, I think like uh, I think you just have to feed them fruit. I wouldn't like advising them. I didn't know if it was like a nice fruit jelly, like Your if it was a guest a slash potential dessert. <laughs> Invite a guest you could later eat. Yeah, very good. Yeah, like the um, you know the walrus and the thingies in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Uh, I like that. You've done a good good job there. You really thought about that one. You got yeah. like three solid punchlines in a row there. Um, so I thought about this reasonably sincerely. I thought I need like one good conversation, sort of like starter guest. And I think that Sully from Uncharted would be spot on for this. Oh, that's good. I'd be like, you know what, mate? Tell me some stories, and we'll just like I'll serve you some bisque or whatever. And like it'll be that'll be like a solid start. Do you um, want him really smoking that fucking disgusting cigar in your flat? Well, I'd insist he goes outside, or at least uses the little, like, uh, non-balcony oh, He'd think you're so uncool if you told him to go outside. <laughs> He's like, look, look, I just want to give you lung cancer, you know, that's, that's, all, I, that's all I, <laughs> I ask. Just get into your furniture, cigars stink, man. Yeah. So similar lines to Clancy Brown, I would invite uh, Jet Li from Jet Li's Rise to Honor on PS2 round. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be good, I've always wanted to meet, meet Jet Li. I think, you know, I sort of like, sort of see what the vibe is, you know, how that what goes. What earlier is that? Uh, a PS2. So would he be a so poorly rendered? PS2 era graphics, Jet Li. <laughs> uh, Glancy yeah. Brown is like pretty photorealistic, even on PS4. <laughs> that, yeah, it does look like exactly like him. I, sh- I could have also invited around um, PS2 Jack Bauer from 24 The Game. That's a PlayStation <laughs> exclusive. So poorly, poorly rendered, Kiefer Sutherland or James Badgedale could have come round for, for dinner, Matthew. <laughs> um, you know, I love James Badgedale. But yeah, um... Oh, and the last one, I'd invite around uh, Doctor Octopus from Spider-Man on PS4. Like, I think I just like, I just like to kind of like ch- see what the deal is with him, what he's kind of got going on, kind of like sort of dissect him a bit, sort of like mentally. He sort of talks a bit about some of the bad <laughs> shit going on, and then like Sully takes a pause, like, "Whoa, you need that kind of person to like even it out, so it's not just like you know, right. yeah." So <laughs> I'll sort of see how that goes. A bit of like social rehabilitation for a madman, basically. It, I thought uh, that might be a... If it went wrong, though, you'd end up having to boss fight him, like at the end of Spider-Man on PlayStation Four. Except he's on top of home base. Yeah, but that's why. Your... <laughs> that's why I bought Jet Li. Do you know what I mean? Jet Li can take care of that. PS2 can Jet Li can. <laughs> Poorly rendered Jet Li will have a good, good, good stab at it. Do you know what I mean? He's like, not getting uh... up on the roof of home base. It's tall. Yeah, that's true. Like, whereas Sully would be like, oh, you're on your own, kid. And then he'd kind of go off and you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, very good. Um, Sully's dialogue really does write itself. <laughs> yeah, it does. I could have, yeah, I could have nailed that, no problem. Basically, Amy Hennig sat, sat right here. Um, 
Yeah, so yeah, I, I suppose like Doc Ock would would be one. I was sort of like racking my brains to like Spider Man characters, but like um, you wouldn't just know. have Spider Man. Which okay, but it would have to be original Spider Man, twenty eighteen Spider Man, not oh. the not the warped Tom Holland redo they did, which broke my heart, Matthew. What if he got patched halfway through the dinner? <laughs> what by dessert? He's like <laughs> when he goes into the toilet and he comes out with his new face. <laughs> I'd be really disappointed. I'd be like, oh, fuck, did you get ported to PS5 between fucking dinner and dessert? That's, they would uh... get upgraded. Sully would also get upgraded to his PS5 version, so he'd suddenly just come into slightly better resolution. <laughs> well, he starts as like the PS3 era and then kind of evolves. That's good. But Jet Li remains the same. That's, yeah, because uh... he never had it. That's good. Okay, well, that was a fucking long answer to that question, so that's good. Um, I didn't want to just say, like, Daxter, because I just don't think that would make for a good dinner pie. Do you know what I mean? I'm not letting that fucking rat in my house. <laughs> The cats are definitely uh, fucking. Oh yeah, and and I'd welcome it. <laughs> uh, do you want to read out the next one, Matthew? Hello, large lads. This is a bit. That's the first large reference we've had today. Hello, large lads. This is a bit of a two for one, as I'm not sure if one part has been asked before. Is there a game series that you are really interested in but never really got into? It could tick all your personal boxes for genre style, but for some reason never stuck. Basically, if you could banish a, a, an exclusive from each platform the three big platforms what would it be and why okay two very uh, different questions yeah for sure uh so the first one i would say that like there are just so many japanese rpgs that tick this box like i i got so into final fantasy and like chrono trigger and a couple of others that there's no reason i shouldn't have got into sui koden for example you know what i mean right or, or dragon quest as well dragon quest i've always considered like to be a bit too vanilla um is that how it's pronounced not dragon quest the Suikoden. Suikoden. I think it is, yeah. Um, how oh, do you pronounce it? All these years I've been saying Suikoden like some kind of sweetener. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any Suikoden for my tea? <laughs> I'm so glad I haven't said that out loud on this podcast. <laughs> Suikoden is what Matthew shouts when he does a card trick. There's um, <laughs> just suddenly fucking cards everywhere. So picks up a king and goes, Was that your card? And I go, No. And you go, Suikoden. And then, like. Yeah, that makes um, so much more sense. I've just never heard it said out loud. I think Sui Koden is how it's said. If I'm wrong about that, then let me know, and that's that's embarrassing. It's like how um, when I was a kid, I got absolutely roasted for calling Fury swipes and Pokemon Furry swipes. I got absolutely fucking like <laughs> murked by Mark Eden in uh, my in my year for that. So um, <laughs> he was right. That was embarrassing. Murked by Mark Eden. <laughs> uh, I haven't thought about that guy for years, but yeah. Um, so yes. Uh, that's, that that kind of that stands out, Matthew. Like JRPG series, I've not really properly played the Stalker series, and I know that'd be my sort of thing because I've enjoyed like Metro mm. and other immersive first-person things. How about you? Uh like I mean, not to be too similar to my four X answer earlier for like things that I I just don't get. Um, like uh, a lot of fighting games. Again, I love hearing them talked about, and I you know I love reading. Rich Stanton or Nathan Brown writing about Street Fighter, um, but I have just I've just not got the patience to learn the the few basics. I think you really do need to learn to be able to enjoy those games properly. Um, it's why I like Smash Brothers. I think it's a lot more pick up and play than those games. And like I remember Rich spending a whole evening trying to teach me Street Fighter Four because basically I think he wanted someone in the flat to play Street Fighter with him. And he, you know, I think some people out there would actually pay good money to have spend an evening with Rich and having him talk to them and teach them about Street Fighter. <laughs> oh, and a I, new Patreon stretch goal, Matthew, maybe. <laughs> I was so, 
<laughs> I was so ungracious that I just didn't absorb any of it. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I tried playing Street Fighter 4 genuinely for a bit and just couldn't make immediate progress. So I was like, fuck this whole genre forever. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably it for me. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that that is another genre as well that like yeah, I, I dip into when there's a theme I like to a fighting game, Marvel right. versus Capcom, for example. That's you know, or Injustice. It's like oh, it's got superheroes and Capcom characters in it. I'll totally give that a go. Whereas yeah. I don't care about fucking Ken memes or whatever. That's just not yeah. interesting like, to me. When we had Nathan on, we asked him about like what it was about Street Fighter, and he was just talking about the kind of sort of you know just the primal power of like two things fighting on a screen and the, the the satisfaction of landing a hit and the simplicity of the health bar and you're like that stuff all really does speak to me but you know when it when these things become muscle memory i think that's when you unlock like the amazing potential of them but i i'm just too lazy to, to do <laughs> muscle memory was that was the worst like random question of unleashed on a guest wasn't it was explain why street fighter is good and then they had to like <laughs> come up on the spot with an answer and i think he resolved to come back at, at some time and give a fuller answer so um that was on me that was um yeah that's that's a good one so what about banishing exclusives matthew i i found this really easy okay so i would banish uh mario party um oh that's a great shout i don't why I, didn't I think of that i would banish og forza because i don't care about um car simulation things for xbox um, right. and I, I keep forza horizon though of course um yeah. and i'd uh banish uh gran turismo that was really easy um <laughs> i'd get rid of all those I, I don't care about like hardcore racing games that was quite an easy shout for me how about you oh mario party i completely forgot about so i was going to do this whole bit about like there's no nintendo game i want to banish they're all amazing actually mario party <laughs> mario party is it like if i was taking the stance that like you have to pick between favorite children and banish something you you like like the, the the Nintendo series I have least affinity for is Star Fox. Um, like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if Star Fox was gone. Of of all this, but actually that's because I forgot about Mario Party, which is dire. Um, <laughs> also Mario Strikers, you could, or like you know. You oh my god, I've, I've forgotten loads of these. You know, oh this is this is what happens when I make my plans at lunchtime when I'm just cramming fucking gyoza into my gob. <laughs> Can't believe I went for Star Fox over Mario Party, Mario Strikers. Actually, uh, I still think that like when Mario Golf and Mario Tennis are good, they're that when they were good on N sixty four, they were really good. Um, so I wouldn't want to banish those. Strikers has always been dog shit. Um, Sony, Infamous, easy. I don't think that counts because they've not made a new one for like eight years. I think you need a. I think you need a more contemporaneous one. You need a more co- really. I think so, yeah. Gran Turismo had one out this year. I was like, yeah, that's a good one. You could just get rid of Ratchet and Clank. That'd be easy for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Simple as that. Done. That's done. That's easy. <laughs> Little big planet. Oh, poor sack boy. Poor uh, sack boy. But, you know, let the let the tearaway era begin. Xbox, I really struggle with Xbox because like, they don't really have many series at the moment. Like, yeah. they've killed them all. Um, <laughs> you pick Pentiment. <laughs> <laughs> Before it Fuck even Pentiment. comes out. Uh, well, contemporary. I like. I wouldn't be sad if they didn't make more Outer Worlds, to be honest. But oh yeah, that's quite a good one. I like that. Cool. Um, well, we, we managed to answer that in the end. I just yeah. yeah. I took I took it out against uh, driving games for the most part, which um, yeah. dads enjoy. I can't believe you're not letting me have Infamous. There was one on PS4. Yeah, but like in the early part of PS4, like it's uh, that's dormant. Yeah. That's a dormant series. I think like they just make Kill good streamer now. 
Well, yeah, again, yeah, pretty do- pretty dormant. Uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah, these are these are all. This was like bait to get you to slam all these PlayStation series. Yeah, I know, and I can't so. say them because PlayStation have developed a bit of taste and they've killed off all their bad games. So, um, <laughs> which is like all of them, and now they've just got like God of War and Naughty Dog. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Okay. Next question. Dream podcast collab with people you are not friends with uh, slash stole formats from. That's from Jamie. That's a reference to the fact that um, many formats in this this, this podcast have been lifted from the big picture, our favorite film podcast, Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do a podcast with them because I don't know them and I think it would um, it'd be really awkward and I'm, I don't think I'm quite as funny as them. I think the, the appeal of that oh. is very much like this podcast where the people know each other. So collaborating doesn't sound appealing what do you think i think i think you're funnier than the hosts of that show ah no not at all that no, I, I, I you know they're, they're, like, I uh, what, they're, they're, like sean fantasy on that show has it, like an incredible recall for like everything film related yeah. that i don't have i wish i had that kind of recall and like they're they're i think they're they're all a lot more erudite than i am for sure like i'm heavily edited on this podcast <laughs> uh they sort of like um yeah I, I i don't necessarily sort of like know i mean i i think like we did talk about about like i don't know what would the sort of um lifting the podcast format of the rewatchables for like retro games would be but mm. um that would be quite fun like the replayables or whatever um, yeah working title uh, hard though you have to put in a lot more legwork yeah, that's it. Like the way we do this podcast means we can dip in and out of things relatively easily. Where if it was yeah. like you have to complete a a different game every week, that'd be fucking stressful. Unless it's yeah. Gradius Advance, and uh, yeah, <laughs> just have to do a side scrolling shooter every two weeks. We only do two hours of shoot maps. <laughs> yeah, that could be good. Uh, Echo Junior this week. That game's thirty seven minutes long. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I don't don't have a great question answer to this. What about you? Collab with people I'm not friends with. I mean, a bit of a vague thing, but if I could, if I could magic a podcast series into being, I'd love to talk to people who are like artists or famous for whatever they do who also happen to be gamers but like they never talk about their gaming because like why would they it's not their profession so like i remember listening to sam menders talking about uh 1917 and he was talking about like video games like him liking video games and what he took from camera perspectives and video games to do that one shot in in you know a one shot film and he was talking about red dead redemption 2 and i was it, it just struck me like holy shit sam mendes is really into red dead redemption 2 i'd love to hear more about him talking about that because he's an intelligent guy in a different art form and so i'd love to do a podcast series with you know film people i guess to talk to them about who are like also massive gamers so like sam mendez john carpenter uh those are the two i've got so far <laughs> no that's a cool idea i'd always like i'd always enjoy the novelty of when someone who's outside of the game space kind of weighs in on it yeah. like that um, even like um the actor uh, rahul Kohli, who's in um all those Mike Flanagan right. shows like he talks about games a lot on twitter and you know that's it's just, just quite just quite cool or like charlie brooker you know that's yeah of and it's it's like the henry cavill thing with warhammer 40k you're suddenly mm. like oh, actually, I have something hugely in common with this person who is, like, basically a different species to me. Um, <laughs> not in that case, I'm not into Warhammer 40k, but, like, oh, we have video games as a common ground. Like, we could definitely have a good chat about that mm. and probably have a good time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good one. I like that. Um, in terms of, like, other people I'm sort of, like, not friends with, I suppose, like, 
I would like to interview more game devs who I don't know, you know? Mm. Um, people who are sort of a bit... I keep thinking, oh, what if I asked Harvey Smith to come on the podcast? Would he Would he do it? You know what I mean? Because I know he's done a few podcasts and stuff, and he, he seems pretty up for chatting and things. I'm like, that would probably be quite a good episode, but... You know, would it be awkward because I don't know him? Would it have the same vibe as the back page? I always think when you have to explain this podcast to people, that's when it falls down. You know what I mean? It's like, what is your podcast? I'm like, well, uh, the same you know. in episode 100. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there the, you uh... go. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very accessible entry point there we, that we made. Um, so yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. I'm any afraid. any US gaming podcasters? Because I feel like we share more common ground with them, and it was really nice talking to Ben about uh, MinMax. But I, I'm like, I'm just have no connections with any US podcasters. I don't oh, know well, if it'd be overwhelming. I saw, I sort of know Lucy James. She'd be pretty cool to have on. I don't know. These are people who I kind of like. I guess I don't know super well, but I kind of know. They'd be they'd be quite quite mm. good. Um, next up, uh, oh god. If you could make your own tub of celebrations <laughs> slash heroes slash quality street slash roses, what would you pick? Think of it as a confectionery draft, if you will. Um, that's from Betamax Bandit also. Um, so just like a box of chocolates compiled from other boxes of chocolates. Thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, yeah so my box would be... Uh, it would be deceased chocolate bars brought back in miniature form. <laughs> so it would be a box of favourites from yesteryears, and it would have... Here's a list... Fuse bars, Cabri's Astros, Vice Versas, whoever made those. <laughs> a terrible, terrible name for chocolate, that. Vice Versas. <laughs> they, were, they were milk chocolate on the outside and white chocolate on the inside, or white chocolate on the outside and milk chocolate on the inside. Vi- they were literally Vice Versa. Vice Versas is a terrible bit of branding, I'll be honest with you. Well, listen, they lasted for like 10 years, I was chomping on those things. <laughs> The the old form of timeout, because the new timeout wafer fucking sucks. It's just all wafer, and it's like no fun at all. <laughs> Cabri Spira, which is just like a... It's like a very hard uh, twirl. <laughs> That's, again, bad branding, I think. Um, Cabri Spira. Spira, what Spira the fuck? Spira sounds like a fucking Dario Argento film. <laughs> <laughs> not, not something you want to be sticking in your mouth for a treat. No. What about Cabri, Cabri Dream, Matthew? They got these days. They just got white dairy milk, but you know. Yeah, Cadbury snaps, which were like the Cadbury's Pringles. They were good. Oh yeah, that, that's the second fi- time that's come up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, and this one is very niche. When I was about fourteen, a man came to our house, and we did a Twix taste test for Twix. <laughs> like they did a block. They were doing like focus testing on on a new Twix range, and we <laughs> tested a Christmas Twix, which was like cinnamony, and it was right. really delicious. And I'd love to have that in the box. So that Christmas Twix that never got released. That's what I want. <laughs> this has the same energy as your lineup of vacuum cleaners story. Matthew, no, where it's this like, was did true because this... the man came and he made me eat a mystery Twix. You <laughs> made me eat a mystery Twix. He did. <laughs> and then I filled in a questionnaire about it. Like, how did this Twix make you feel? And like, uh, did you love this Twix? Would you want to eat another one of these Twixes? Oh dear, and then I assumed that other people said no. Well, yeah, yeah, it was like 10, 10, 10. I'm like, <laughs> get this Twix on that shop shelf. Uh, yeah, that's good. Just surrounded by Spiro wrappers. Um, it's like, yeah, <laughs> this guy knows his stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of like struggle to have much imagination with this. Like, I'm, I'm mostly content with roses as they are. I would just swap out the two toffee ones. Like, I don't need like what? two lots. You don't need two lots of toffee. Now, haven't you got the stick and the little coin? You don't need both of those. But when you get rid of the fruit ones. 
No, I quite like the strawberry one. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. fucking grim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the strawberry. I don't like the orange one as much, but the strawberry one's good. I, I would just swap those, <laughs> those, the toffee coin and the toffee stick for a fucking avalanche of the purple ones that have the caramel and the nut in them. That would be well, like... Well, that's, that's quality street. Oh, is it? Fuck, I'm getting them mixed up then. Um, yeah, toffee penny and toffee stick. That's that's quality street. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, in which case I'm just getting them completely mixed up in my. Oh, I thought you see. Redundant. I thought I thought you were ragging on the rose um, caramel keg. Oh no, of course not. That's like that's that's tip top. Anything that's <laughs> yeah. got like just like basically like some kind of caramelized fluid in it is definitely going in any oh, box. Yeah. Of, I can't uh, hand. I, I mean, actually, I don't know why I'm defending toffees because my teeth. Now shatter basically when I eat anything that isn't soup. Like a, a toffee penny would, I mean, it would literally pull my teeth out of my gums. It would be horrible, like a horror film. No, um, I'm, I'm sort of in the same place. I'm like, if I bite down on this, will I just pull it out and there'll be like eight teeth on there? But that's <laughs> <laughs> that's like where my my, my dental health is currently at. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I don't have much imagination for this. I would like. Um, with um, celebrations, that would that that needs some workshopping. I think I like the bounty. I would keep the bounty. I think that's why this question came up because they're taking the bounty out of the box, and people are like, "Ah, oh, you know, it's it's a classic bit of um, like distraction news in the UK, where it's like, don't look at the government because they took the bounty out of this chocolate box." So that's that's exactly how the fucking country we, works we now. Even the government planned it. Yes, I do, Matthew. <laughs> this goes all the way to the top. Um. You think this is this is a big like Putin move? <laughs> Stop us trying to protect Ukraine. Yeah, I think the um, the sort of like a, a bounty pipeline running across Europe has been like shut off. I think it's secretly about that, Matthew. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would like, but I would keep the uh, the old um, like truffle that, that comes in the celebrations. That's really good. I'd keep oh, that. galaxy truffle classic. Yeah, that's lovely. I'd keep I keep all the galaxy based things in there. That's pretty good. Yeah, the galaxy caramel, very strong. Malteser, reasonably solid. Uh... Could... No. A bit so of, the it's... problem with the Malteser is that, like, so the miniature versions of popular things, the Malteser is the only one which is bigger than its base version. Like the court, like a Malteser is kind of perfection in itself. I think the, I think there's the balance of chocolate to Malteser core in a Malteser, um, in, in the, you know, the miniature one is, is off, completely off. I think it has none of the charm. Why don't you just wrap a Malteser up and put it in the box? <laughs> Well, that wouldn't be the same shape as the others, would it? It'd be a little bit too like out small. Of, out yeah, of it's or just or like you get the box, you put all the other celebrations in there, and then you just empty a bag of Maltesers to <laughs> rattle around in the box. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's what I, I just want there to be. Like that's how Maltesers should be truly represented. None of this like, oh, it's like it's not Maltesers. Too much chocolate. Well, I think that's fucking deranged to empty a bag of Maltesers into a box of celebrations, frankly. It's like unhinged. Why is that right Why was if you filled it up like packing foam, like to the brim with Maltesers? But that's like, I've made my own version of Revels and it's like, it's just like a box of celebrations in an ocean of Maltesers. If I came yeah. around your house... <laughs> You've just destroyed heaven. If I came around your house and you like got, got that out, it's like a post-it at a... Just like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's like, I have to touch so many Maltesers to get to any chocolate in here. No one else is going to want to eat those Maltesers because hands have been rooting through them. <laughs> the, the communal chocolate experience has been ruined um, because, yeah, well, that's... <laughs> Oh dear! I knew this would be the question that would derail this podcast and be done in under two hours. That's, oh, uh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm afraid. It, I, I think that like having a sh- some shit chocolates is as part of the mix. Is just it's just like part of the 
it's just what these things are, right? It's meant to be like it's not meant to be all of your favorites. It's meant to be just like so yeah. much variety that you can only truly enjoy maybe like sixty percent of it, and then the rest you just sort of put up with. And then at the end, you have like a big mound of them you just eat on like the 29th of uh, December the real (laughs) desperation last days of Christmas when you just eat 50 orange cream (laughs) roses yeah that's it just like trying to get through like 19 toffee pennies and just like (laughs) and at the end there's just gums left you know just gums and just blood everywhere (laughs) oh dear Um, okay good I think we answered that one Matthew yeah so Hi, fellas. Has Matthew kept in touch with the boys across the river? Brackets, not asking for any fanfic purposes. Thanks. Uh, that's from uh, Mailam. Matthew, this is um, some boys you knew as a kid, right? And they had some games consoles you didn't have, and then you would hang out. It all sounded very nice. I assume these are real kids and not something you dreamed. <laughs> yeah, they're real. This isn't a, this isn't a Hoover lineup <laughs> incident. <laughs> That's what uh, I think every time you tell an anecdote now is, oh no, he's fucking imagined it again. Or his mum, his mum told it him happened. <laughs> no, I didn't imagine like like at least five years of friendship uh, with two two boys across the river. Um, yeah, I, they no longer live across the river from my dad, but we occasionally see one of the boys. Um, they still come to like my dad's social gatherings. That's nice. Um, Rod so, and Todd yeah. Flanders, they're called. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Ed and Andy, the boys across the river. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, they had a SNES, we had a Mega Drive. Beautiful. Used to swap. It's beautiful. It's like the end of the Cold War, in it? It's like, you know what? We can still get along, even though we've got different games consoles. That's yeah. uh, beautiful. Okay, good. We answered that one. That's good. I don't I don't talk about any of my childhood friends on this podcast. Do we know that's last one? Apart from Andrew, the star of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> Good, uh, good callback. A lot of good callbacks in this episode. I can't, um, I can't wait to get my Andrew Figma. <laughs> yeah, your uh, Play Arts Kai Andrew is um, on the... <laughs> complete with motorcycle is on the way, Matthew. Uh, 180 quid, but well worth it. <laughs> I'm excited about my um, my Dorsia figurine myself, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, or like, uh, yeah, uh, Daniel with his machine gun arm. Oh, those are such specific references, I apologise. Do you want to read out this last question, Matthew? Hello, Bath Big Boys. I think that's a new one. Uh, We are amazingly almost at the 10-year anniversary of the Wii U release. Where has the last decade gone? Tell me about it. Just wondering if Backpage has any plans to profile this landmark. I always enjoy a discussion of the most cursed, tacked-on use of the gamepad screen. For me personally, it is strangely my favourite console of all time. The Wii U ended up being the first HD gaming experience I ever had. I'd grown up with the SNES N64 games and owned a PS2 and GameCube as I moved to university. Unfortunately, Burger struck my uninsured huge student digs and got them both. Funnily enough, they were not interested in the Dyson. Mm-hmm. They left my Resi 4 and Wind Waker slash Ocarina Master Quest boxes on the shelf, though, so I only got the game in the disk drive. I hope Killer7 is the sort of game criminals enjoy. I'd be surprised if it was. Uh, Following this incident in 2006, life got in the way and I never bought a replacement console. I mainly lived in a small one-bed flat with my now wife in this period, so could never justify the large outlay for sporadic gaming on our one TV household. The Wii U's off-TV play suited me perfectly and fully reignited my love of games. In a move that now seems inexplicable in hindsight, I went to the 24-hour Asda at 1am on release day, fearing the Wii U would be a smash hit and sell out immediately. 
recently. The staff there were, of course, baffled, and I had to go back the following day, <laughs> turning up for a midnight launch, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're not even having one. <laughs> I played the thing to death with 100-plus hours racked up on each of Splatoon, Mario Kart 8, Xenoblade X, and Breath of the Wild. As I'd missed the PS3 360 era completely, I even gratefully lapped up middling ports of Deus Ex, Mass Effect 3, Arkham City, etc. The right console at the right time for me. I'm interested in your thoughts on the Wii U's legacy. That's from Captain Birdseye. Imagine starting the Mass Effect trilogy from the third one. Like that just that as an experience just blows my mind. And um, still writing hate mail to the <laughs> Bioware. <laughs> I don't like how this Fuck ended. Fuck you! You ruined this game. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, I don't like how this ended or this began because I started it with a, with a third, third installment. I was completely baffled. Uh, um, yeah, I think that. So we we have a, put out like a joke um, Patreon goal, which is if we hit twenty one hundred, we'll do a Wii U Hall of Fame. Um, but we will do that, and so what we'll do is we'll, we'll ball down. I suppose like probably like maybe. 20 to 30 essential games and then like pick 10 out of those to represent the, the, the lineup. Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, we're definitely not done with the Wii U. There's definitely like more to come on that side of things from us. Um, so in terms of its legacy, I think like definitely, you know, the, the most obvious thing to say, of course, is the software lineup of the Switch. It gave the Switch an incredibly, gr- you know, strong base of games to build upon. It arrived basically with you know uh, these pre-made exclusives they could roll out and they still haven't rolled all of them out even after all this time but that's that is kind of like where you see the sort of like very basic idea of the you know a console that can be plugged into the tv and used portably exist in some form and then the switch is the the you know the obviously the much the far superior version of that form Mm. um but why am i talking when i can ask matthew the um, biggest nintendo head i know what he thinks for his uh, comprehensive opinion yeah i i really like this letter i really like the the little narrative and actually that very specific scenario of not having played those games and then coming to this as a little entry point i could see that being quite mind-blowing you know um quite hard to untangle Wii U from you know what's happened on switch obviously so many of its games lived on but like taken if you do take it as an isolated console say you didn't get a switch and you played all those first party games i think it did actually have an incredible first party library you know sort of punched above its weight i mean arguably a lot of the best games on wii u and it could probably you know the five best games on wii u could probably stand up to the five best games on gamecube i would say yeah Um, i think that's about right you know it's not it's not like miles off it's definitely not a disaster it's laughed at but it's you know a wonderful little thing it's just i think because so many of those games live on on switch it feels like a little less important now like a little less precious for it um i think there'd be a lot more affection for it if if this still was the only place to play like mario kart 8 or whatever i also find it quite hard to untangle from like personal experience you know covering games consoles you have like a, a, a an extra sort of special affinity for them like you associate that console with the people on the team and the excitement around launch and particularly this this time of year like i get very nostalgic for i always get nostalgic this time of year because i started on endgamer uh in october of 2006 and like when it starts getting dark outside something triggers in my brain like oh yeah it's like when i started on endgamer and being in like uh, like office li- you know the f- harsh fluorescent lighting when it's dark outside always takes me back to those offices and i have some of that similar nostalgia for like the o&m offices at london which i associate with this staying off to work to play 
Wii U, you know, Nintendo Land with Joe Scrabs. That is an experience everyone had, obviously. But for me, it's it's quite hard to untangle from. As a console, kind of slightly misguided, wrong price, wrong release time. Like the third party games spread was just baffling and and kind of hobbled it massively. It just seemed a bit out of touch and out of step. But a thoroughly charming thing. Um, you know, me versus one of the all time great Nintendo things. Just so so delightful that incredible software lineup you know i i think it it really does have some amazing games and they live on even like play playing it this year playing some xenoblade x on it i was thinking i actually do quite you know i'm still quite fond of this i like holding the gamepad it's comfortable to hold it's a nice thing we'll do a proper wii u episode and get into all that those of us who are there have a lot of love for it and it's very easy to be snide about it but it's it's rock solid yeah i i too uh, you know, I enjoyed the narrative here. Like, um, I was there thinking, oh man, imagine missing the PS3 and 360 era, like the stuff you'd miss out on. But I can also see why that would have like this kind of slingshot effect of making the Wii U seem exotic and exciting in a particular moment before next gen consoles came along. Um, I always like the fact that the, uh, I think like, I think the way to look at this is most people's relationship with games consoles is not like ours, Matthew, where we devour everything and have to play everything. Most people will buy, like, will have probably 10 to 20 games that they own, like, total across a generation. They're not just, like, hideous hoarders like me who just, like, (laughs) have a mountain of, like, 500 things to play. They've accumulated and have to have audited in games court. Most people have just that (laughs) that leaner collection of things they really want to play. And if you, you know, if you, like you say, if you pick, like... um, the sort of cream of the crop you you have you know as good a 10 games as you get anywhere else really um and yeah certainly like this you know the deus ex is a great game mass effect 3 are great games admittedly i think that's a weird way to play them but nothing wrong with the ports <laughs> so fair enough yeah. um yeah i can totally see what that happens so yeah i i echo it i kind of like i liked how sort of detached the we use whole like ecosystem felt from the rest of gaming in terms of like it wasn't you weren't you know pounded with notifications and it didn't really feel like it was trying to sell you anything it was yeah. like it, all those kind of like um you know the little sort of like dudes like totter onto the screen and like the noises it would make just didn't sound like anything else the switch is a lot colder by comparison really the switch oh, yeah. feels like a more contemporary you know sort of like apple and android inspired sort of like deal still has some of the kind of like nintendo warmth to it but not nearly as much as the wii u had the wii u just had loads of it so um mm. yeah i think it's so i don't you know i certainly don't regret owning one um i just like the idea of setting a comedy stretch goal where i'll get it out of my cupboard if people spend 2100 pounds on the podcast maybe this is like <laughs> a sick example of late capitalism matthew i'm not really sure yeah but yeah we'll return to it we'll, we'll do that episode at some point for sure so yeah i think we're done matthew um, we're done so much for 90 minutes yeah that's what you do it always fucking happens because we haven't spoken for a little while so it's like oh yeah. I, I can ask matthew about how he how his bruce trip was uh, <laughs> and what what a great story it was um so matthew people can support us at patreon.com slash backpage pod if you like the podcast you like to throw a few pounds our way uh we spend the money on uh patreon contributors sorry contributors to the podcast uh edits on the patreon episodes and also ourselves of course so um if you like like what we do you can support us twitter.com slash backpage pod if you want to follow us on a declining social media network where can people find you on there matthew uh, at mr basil underscore pesto i'm samuel w roberts and next week is cyberpunk 2077 revisited so see you then bye-bye bye-bye